ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dolls of all ages, are you ready to watch two Ken dolls fight in a vat of pudding? No? Too bad! But before we watch these little twinks get their twunk on, we have to go over a few rules of the arena. The first one is that the Dub Talk Podcast Arena may contain language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences, and that listeners' discretion is advised. Please be aware that there's a splash zone in order, and that spoilers may be flung for the entirety of Angelic Claire and any and all other anime, so if you don't want to get those spoilers on your, on your jorts, then you should be careful and come back to this later. And finally, as that Ken doll comes from the top rope and hits the G.I. Joes and his grenades, remember that the views and opinions expressed are that of the individual fighters and do not reflect the dub talk participants as a whole. Now this battle's going into round six and the G.I. Joes have been neutered. But what's that? We have a new entrant. Are those Bratz dolls? I didn't even know they were allowed in here. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Dub Talk Arena. Tonight, we have an episode for you. Do you like the Nerve Gear from Sword Art Online? Never watched it, don't know. <sighs> did you like the movie Real Steel starring Hugh Jackman? Yes, I did. I have not seen it because I'm a plebeian. Have you ever wanted to watch two Barbie dolls beat the living shit out of each other? Oh my god, your do I? Without your brother sticking bottle rockets to it. You mean you can do that without strapping a bottle rocket to your Barbie? Okay, okay, the, okay. see, I heard bottle rocket and my mind immediately went somewhere else. No, Jet, that's the other clamp show with robots. <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> boy, howdy, do I have a show for you. Tonight, I have with me, your host, Megan Deuce Roots. Yeah, Roots Mania, brother. What are you going to do when these 10-inch pythons come after you? Deuce Jet. Uh, I was going to make a Barbie joke, but I can't think of one. And Deuce Amon. See, the joke here is that I'm doing an impression of noted wrestler Orange Cassidy, who does not say anything and always wrestles with his hands in his pockets. So, make of that what you will. And tonight, we are here to bring you the one, the only, the least creepy clamp show. <laughs> tonight, we are talking... I mean, I was about to say, the Monster Chronicles isn't that bad if you ignore how bonkers the second half of that manga is. <laughs> you don't ignore how bonkers the second half of Subasa Chronicles is. That's what makes it fun. <laughs> Tonight, we are here to talk about Angelic Layer, a series that actually might have more histor might have actually more historical significance to the anime community than you'd like to imagine. Because, hey guys, did you know that this was the second television project Bones ever worked on? Wow. You don't say. That's right. This came before Full Alchemist, came before Wolf's Reign, and yet still has some really nice animation, actually. I was kind of surprised how well this held up. 
But we're not here to talk about the animation. Well, we will talk about the show, but we're mostly here to talk about the dub. Now, this episode is a special episode brought to us by our Patreon quarterly raffle winner. So thank you to J2, a.k.a. Jared, for picking this one out for us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And if uh, we'll get back to more Patreon things at the end. By the way, did you also know that this show was written by the guy who ended up being the uh, original story writer for Code Kiosk? Really? Huh. Yeah, Ichiro uh, Okuchi. Wow, this is significantly less creepy than I would expect from him. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, Jet. You're not wrong. I mean, I, I, I mean, I mean, okay, okay to be bad, okay to be bad. I mean, he's he's better than his partner Yoshino, but that's that's a low bar. Well, he, <laughs> that's a... he he saw he had to adapt to clamp manga, and he thought, I can't even be clamp at their mildest. I'm not gonna try. <laughs> Which is really weird because this mo- this anime actually changes some stuff from the manga. Does it make it less weird? Uh, when we get to it, we'll get to it. Oh but uh, also, B, I would like to point out that the guy who directed this also directed Azumanga Daio and has been directing the uh, Index series. Interesting. So somebody went to purgatory. Ah, uh, poor, uh, just pour one out for that guy. <laughs> pour one out for Hiroshi Nishikori. Has to work as regular. Uh, yeah, I mean, re- regular, re- okay, regular in quotation marks because Roka has had more hiatuses than you could. For for very specific values of regular. <laughs> what is more cursed, the Index franchise or New Mutants? People like Index, so I'm gonna go with New Mutants. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny that it took one of us several seconds to think of the answer. <laughs> I have no I have no I, 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 had no, I had no answer to that question. <laughs> exactly. But you know what we do have interest in? Barbies beating the shit out of each other. That's true. Yes. But from the minds of the people who created Cardcaptor Sakura and a show later on connected to this where the on button cannot be found by Jet Ben Shapiro. <laughs> I'm not letting that get edited out. No, we're keeping that one. That one gets to stay. Uh, Anyways, WAP was an experience. <laughs> That's just. Anyway, back to the uh, plot of the show. If you've never seen Angelic Lair, the plot is as follows Misaki Suzahara is a seventh grader who just moved to Tokyo to live with her aunt Shoko. She's small in size, but that won't stop her. After arriving uh, to the city outside of Tokyo Station, she ends up getting lost because seriously, have you ever seen the Tokyo Station? You've all played enough Persona 5 to know that you can easily get lost there. She watches a battle between two dolls on a live TV called Angelic Lair. Uh, interested in learning about Angelic Lair, an eccentric man wearing a lab, a white lab coat and glasses, calling himself Ichan, encourages Misaki to purchase and create her own angel, and in the process gets store security called on him because, frankly, if you saw Ichan walking up to you, you'd want an adult as well. I mean, it's funny you say that, but I will bring that up when we get to him in the, the episode proper. Yes. She wants to create an angel that is short, but strong and happy, and names her Hikaru based off Hikari Shindo from Clamp's Magic Knight Ray Earth. Even though she's clueless about the game, Misaki soon competes in tournaments and assisted uh, and watched carefully by Ichan. Basically, all I can say is uh, 
hey, have you ever wanted a fighting tournament anime where girls actually matter? Then yeah. do I have a series for you? You're not wrong about that. You're not wrong about that at all. Yeah, you're definitely not wrong about that. Watching this definitely reminded me of a of another of another fighting show, but I'll get to that later. Seriously, this is a show where literally one of the characters I can only describe as the token male character. Anyway, tonight we are here to talk about the dub of Angelic Lair. We're going to be reviewing all 26 episodes of the dub and giving our thoughts as follows. Uh, now, this is kind of a weird, I, I guess not weird situation, but the original rights holder for this dub basically no longer exists. Is that Avex? In quotation marks. Because this was dubbed way back in the year of, I believe, 2005 oh, by no. ADV. No, no, no. Oh, there we go. Um, I see where this is going. Fun little story. Um, this was actually a DVD that somebody brought into my high school anime club. So this, like, I would have watched it around 2004. I looked it up. Um, the DVDs actually originated in 2003. So Yeah, because the, the show started in 01, so this is a 19-year-old show with a uh, 17-year-old dub. Oh, boy. Not the oldest thing we've covered, because we've obviously covered Gunsmith Cats, another ADV show, but uh, still nonetheless. So let's move in directly into our first round of this bout, starting with our director and our scriptwriter. Our director is David Williams, and our writer is Tiffany Grant. David Williams, you'll know, is the director of the ADV dub of the Dirty Pair OVAs, Dean Angel, and Spectral Force. And Tiffany Grant, you'll know for her writing on Comic Party Revolution, Deno Coil, and Parasite the Maxim. Uh, let's start this off with Jet, then Amon, then Roots, and myself. Okay, um, so I guess uh, starting with the direction, I'm, I'm not really... Familiar with David Williams because I haven't watched a whole ton of old AV dubs. Okay, I mean, that's not true. I have watched a whole... I have watched several old AV dubs. A lot of them were done by our good buddy Steve, so uh, you can definitely imagine what the quality was there. And uh, <laughs> um, so, so I wasn't too sure what, what to expect from this, but uh, yeah, I guess it's kind of uh, part of the course for like old ADV stuff. So it definitely does sound like a 17 year old dub. There's a. So it definitely does sound kind of hokey in a lot of places. It's like a lot of like a lot of the actors sound like exaggerations of archetypes that have been refined a lot more since then. Uh, but at the same time, there is kind of like a weird charm to it. And while not, well, I can't say any of the performances here necessarily wowed me. Uh, there were too uh, there were too many that I was outright like yeah no one so I'd say it worked out pretty well and so and it was kind of nice hearing hearing a couple of actors in particular what I assume were like really early roles for them so that was kind of neat but uh, yeah on the whole the direction it's not it's not great but for the time it was made I think it I think it sounds like pretty okay I guess. Sorry, a uh, script I'm a little more iffy on. It's, it's, I mean, again, it's an old ADV dub, so I'm not, like, super surprised at this, but it is very literal. By very literal, I mean, like, down to, I mean, down to how they use, I mean, it's, like, down to how they use, like, uh, acronyms or, oh, wait, no, not acronyms, God, 
Oh, God, why am I blanking on this? Honorifics? Yeah, honorifics, there we go. Yeah, definitely a lot of, like, characters being referred to Mr. or Miss, and then, like, Misaki, she is a thing you hear a lot. So, yeah, that was a little weird in a lot of places. I mean, I got used to it after a while, but, like, super little translations are always kind of eh for me. Uh, but on the whole, I think this dub is, like, fine for the time it was made. It is, it's definitely sort of things, but I had a pretty decent time li listening to it. Awesome, thank you so much. Uh, I enjoyed this. I had a lot of fun. Uh, it is very obviously an ADV dub from the early 2000s. Uh, it is... A little odd it's it feels kind of loose especially compared to anything that you would have heard coming out of anywhere in texas in the last like five years or so uh it had it has the honorifics thing which is very reflective of adv i think being kind of the very they, they tended to wear their fanishness on their sleeve a lot more as a dubbing company maybe not so much now but especially back then uh <laughs> but I, I had a lot of fun with it this felt very it was nicely punchy. It was very exuberant and cartoony. Um, this feels like the kind of thing where had a bigger company put out this same dub, I feel like they would have tried to get it on TV at some point. Because this feels like something that you probably could have slotted on whatever was on, you know, whatever else was on the WB at the time. And it probably would have gotten an audience aside from the fact that it's clearly way too short for any TV station to want to bother with. Um, the only complaint I have is one of those weird just functions of like, translation where there are noticeably lines where in Japanese there was obviously a pause like halfway two-thirds of the way through the line that in Japanese was a perfectly fine place to stop talking and not so much in English and ah, usually and usually and usually attached to a line where I'd read it and I'm like yeah I'm not I'm not seeing a good way to restructure this where there isn't an awkward pause in the middle the animation has done them dirty what can you do <laughs> Uh, but beyond that, it was like, this was, this was just, it was very fun. Like, if you, if, if you're a younger person, you were not watching anime in the 2000s, and you kind of want an idea of, like, what kinds of, what dubs sounded like then, I actually think this is probably just a nice example of, like, here's what you get. It's got some of the good, it's got some of the bad and awkward, and it's not a, and it's a generally a fun time to listen to on the whole. Okay. Um, so I guess tonight's gonna be a really interesting episode um obviously this is a dub that was produced um i would say at the earliest 2002 like right at the tail end because i think disc one came out like spring of 2003 um so yeah we're talking about a nearly 20 year old dub here it is definitely shall we say a product of its time um it definitely Wears its age on its sleeve. I I do like it, but it is specifically for those sort of hokey charms. Um, because this is this is a kind of dub that I I grew up with. This is the stuff that I I would watch with friends after school in in my high school's history department with like this little high school wheeled TV with like immediately next door to the place where they had detention. Shout out to the Mount Ararat High School Anime Club. Um, in terms of direction and script writing, though, um, I would say casting is probably about as good as you could probably get at the time. And the dialogue definitely... I don't know if I would call it loose, as Amon did. I would almost say it's too rigid. Um, 
the the translations are hyper literal and not just in the uh in the honorific sense that jet was bringing up the characters say everything every little minute detail gets brought up and you know Amon also mentioned that this felt like the kind of thing that would air on kids tv if given the opportunity um given how much everything is literally explained in dialogue i would actually buy that um i would not be surprised if add at some point actually tried to shop this out to like kids wb or fox kids um and also yeah the the also sort of i call it the bleach stutter where uh, as someone was bringing up um it's sort of the the actor says their line and then there's a brief pause in the middle and then they continue that's actually a thing that kind of drives me nuts and dubs because obviously the english language doesn't flow like that and it's just the kind of thing that i don't want to call it bad script writing i guess amon had a good point when he said the um the animation did the show dirty in terms of the dub um so needless to say i'm a bit on the fence about the direction and script writing so yeah i'll, I'll say it of everybody in the group like i have the most sentimental attachment to this show uh, this is probably one of the earliest box sets i ever got and of all things i got it at uh kinokunia back the first time i ever found that store like back in probably like 10 15 years ago but i do agree that the dub isn't it's not as good as other dubs of the time period. And I can say that because I watched a lot of dubs that came out in the early 2000s recently. Uh, this doesn't hold up anywhere near as well as, say, Cowboy Bebop, Wolf Strainer, Last Exile. This is clearly a tier below those shows. Yeah, I mean, and if you're looking at other, if you're looking at other Texas-based things, I'm pretty sure like Yu Yu Hakusho was around 2003 and that, whole, that dub still holds up really well. Yeah. I actually think that this dub does kind of hold up in the sense that it is a little hokey and cheesy. And surprisingly, when I was actually looking at the cast list for this, I was actually surprised that a lot of people in the show uh, showed up in stuff that is still uh, in a lot of otaku's radars these days. Like, I was surprised at how many of them were in at least one Sentai show that has come out within the last five to six years. Um mm -hmm. So it's it's not to say that any of the I don't think any of the actors in this are particularly bad. Are there rough performances that I think are very like literal dialogue-y, kind of gaspy, a little flat at points? Maybe like clearly if this dub came out like today, there would be a completely different cast except for one person because I don't think they'd ever actually recast her because she was kind of great in this even back then. Maybe, um, I frankly, I, this isn't a show, like, if somebody else picked it up and, like, gave it a redub, like they did, say, Evangelion or, um, Escaflone, I would actually be a little bit more sad, because I actually think that part of the dub's weird hokey charms is what really got me attached to this show. Um, it is really approachable for people who don't give a shit or little kids. Like, this show is actually surprisingly child-friendly, for how oddly intricate and kind of violent the fights get. Like, let's be real. At one point, one, bar one angelic layer doll picks up another one and breaks its back over its shoulders. And then lets it roll off a mountain. Um, that's a phrase of things that happens in this show. Um, do I think it holds up 
as well as other clampdubs. That's hard to say because it's in a weird sense. Clamp shows haven't had the best dub track record in the world. Uh, I mean, there's okay. I mean, there's the okay. I mean, there's the ones funny Funimation dub, and then there's everything else. <laughs> like Subasa has a pretty good dub. Uh, most people tend to like the Chobits dub. Uh, Card Captors has had four dubs, and none of them are very good. And then there's X. Yo. Okay, wait, no. Triple X Holic had a pretty good dub. I think any clamp anime that's based on one of their series that hasn't actually concluded is probably cursed to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I guess by, like, weird... I mean, I guess if you, if you want to count it by weird technicality, the best clamp dub is probably Code Geass, but... <laughs> that doesn't like, count. That doesn't count. They didn't create that. They just did the character designs. Which probably explains why Suzaku and Lelouch are about as straight as cooked spaghetti. Yeah, th yeah this is why I said weird technicality. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Like, I, I actually think that this, this holds up fairly well for a clamp dub. It certainly holds up way better than Cardcaptor Sakura's original dubs ever did. Yeah, uh, that, um, uh, that that's not a very high bar. Frankly, yeah, fuck you, Nelvana. Please go fuck yourself, Nelvana. Um, but no, like, I will say that there is... Look, we're not talking about this character, but I think bar none, the worst performance goes to Hillary Haig's little brother. Oh. The, her, uh, the girl who gets really mad at her after she loses to Suzuka. Oh. I think, I think, <laughs> I think I remember this now, and I think it was, it wasn't very good, no. It was really weird. It's which is so weird because Hillary Haig is actually really good in this show for like as a one-off character. But her brother had like the worst voice in the whole show. I just like it's it's really weird is that like the first like 9-10ish episodes are fairly normal kid show standard and then they start slowly like dripping in clamp weirdness. And then by like episode 20 they just were like it's like a pinch of salt. You said a cup? Okay! <laughs> and they just dump all their weird spices into the bowl. And you're like, this shit You want weird romantic hangups? <laughs> it's like... Oh no, it's like that scene from A Bug's Life with the, um... With the seeds in the, in the little... In the little bottle. When, uh... When a hopper just rips the bottom out of it and it dumps all over the one guy. And you're like, this shouldn't taste good, but it does. Or at least it did to me. <laughs> um, so, are we all ready to move on to our first group of characters? Sure. Yeah. Alright, so if you're gonna run a weird hyper-techno game, and, like, by weird hyper-techno game, I mean, like, let's be real, if Angelic Lawyer was real, I would totally fucking play it. Oh, I mean, I think we all would. But you gotta have some sciencey people working on it and making sure the tournament runs well. So let's talk about... <laughs> I swear to God, they're called Team Angelic Layer, but if you look anywhere else, they're also called uh, the name of the store, which has the most adorable name ever of Piffle Princess. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about Team Piffle Princess. There's, uh, there is Hiromi Fujimori. She is a female scientist that works in the back lab and kind of is one of the two people who makes somebody's life a living hell. Uh... There is Yuko Inada. She is essentially Misaki's mom's uh, caretaker, a uh, second. 
She also is an engineer that has been helping out on the Angelic Lair project. There is Shiji Inada, Yoka's husband, another engineer who is helping to take care of the project. And then there is God's eternal butt monkey, Masahiro Ogata. He is Ichan's assistant, an engineer, and his life is nothing but suffering and being whipped. That poor bastard. Uh, It is also implied that Hiromi really likes him and... She also delivers one thing where she's like, I don't want a guy who's romantic. I want a guy who's a putt so I can pick on him. <laughs> um, well, if that's what you're looking for in a man, then we have a man for you. Uh, Ogata's entire existence can be summed up as put on the chimp suit and dance. <laughs> uh, he is, he does kind of have his day for a moment and then that immediately even goes to shit. Oh. Um, so, playing Team Piffle Princess, playing Ogata is Mark X. Lazowski. Playing Hiromi is Allison Sumerall. Playing Yuko is Kathia Corker. And playing Shuji is Jay Hickman. Mark Lazowski, you'll know as characters such as June Ao in Martin's successor, successor Nadesco. So, Ichi Yagamo in Razafon in uh, Uxkull in Flip Flappers. Allison Sumerall, you'll know as Yuri in the Dirty Pair Affair on Nolandia. Uh, Kagura in Azamanga Dayo, and my actual Food Wars waifu, Hinako Inu in Food Wars. Uh, Catherine Corker, you'll know as Arisa in... I swear to God, this is my favorite name to say on any podcast for a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, All-purpose cultural cat girl, Nuku Nuku. Oh, no. Um, uh, Takako slash Fenrir in Pre-Tier and Tomoyo Sakigami in the Quanad series. Jay Hickman, you'll know as characters such as Muto in Princess Tutu, The Fool in Kaleidostar, and Joichiro Yukihara in Food Wars, aka the world's hottest dad. Daddy has a good reason for leaving you. Uh, describe good. <laughs> exactly. The, the answer is it isn't good. It's just he pats Soma on the head and goes, have fun at culinary school. Daddy's got a good reason for abandoning you. Have fun, kids. Have fun. Don't get thrown out. Well, I guess it's better than what he did to Soba's evil brother in quotation marks. God, I hate that so wasn't. That, nobody <laughs> fucking likes the blue arc. Also, B, isn't, that isn't even his fucking brother. I don't care about spoiling the end of Food Wars on this podcast. Guys, you really don't want to watch the end of Food Wars. There's watching something uh, nosedive, and then there's watching something getting tactically nuked from orbit. Alright, uh, so before we uh, so before we go uh, too much further with this, as I mean, like as I was watching this show, I was thinking to myself, you know, I feel like in an alternate timeline, I could have seen like maybe four kids trying their hands at this. So as a weird exper- so as a weird experiment, I thought to myself, what would the four kids say to some of these characters be? Now, oh okay, God, now- Jet, you beautiful bastard. Okay, okay, now I don't actually have any, I don't actually have any of these written down and some of these I'm just doing off the top of my head. So let's see what I can do here. So for Ogata, okay, that's way too many syllables for kids to memorize. Now Otto, that's the name kids will know. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see, Hiromi. Also too many syllables. Let's go with Hillary. That that that's a little easier for kids. Damn it, Hillary. What about her emails? <laughs> oh, no. Okay, uh, now, Yuko, I can't think of any good American names that start with a Y, so it's just going to go with Coco. <laughs> sure, why not? 
<laughs> and so, okay, and Four Judy, kids. Sure, why not? Okay, and Judy, let's go with Sean. Sean sounds good. Okay. <laughs> Sean sounds fine. Getting the robot, Sean. <laughs> Shit, this is the Devilman Crybaby group, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Man, we've come a long way, guys. Nobody comes on the ceiling in this show. <laughs> I would hope not. Anyway, Jet, your thoughts? It's like, uh, sure, I could be pretty quick. Uh, I could be pretty quick with both of these. I didn't have, like, too many thoughts on Suji on and Yuko. They were mostly just kind of there for a lot of the time. It's like, uh, but I thought that Jay Hickman and Kayfa Corker sounded, like, okay. Uh, I mean, and again, this was like super early ADV, so it didn't sound like a little, so it didn't sound kind of exaggerated at times, especially Jay, especially Jay Hickman. I actually didn't know that was him until I was looking at this cast list, so I guess that's a little surprising. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I thought they were uh, pretty okay otherwise. Uh, also, Super and Hiromi um, stood out a little more. I kind of liked her back and forth with Ogata. I thought. I wouldn't necessarily say they had great chemistry, but I but I like how much he kind of busted his chops alongside each other, so I got a couple of good laughs out of that. I generally enjoy Allison Super all the things. She isn't always great, but when she's good, she's yeah, she's usually pretty strong. And well again, like a lot of the actors in this show, uh, she sounded like really kind of overly exaggerated at points, I thought. I thought she sounded like pretty okay for the most part. Uh, but of course the sound out of this section is definitely Mark Lasowski as Ogata because being Ogata is suffering. It's like, again, this dub sounds very hokey at points, and Mark's Ogata sounds especially hokey, but in this case, it's definitely worse because this guy is just a perpetual butt monkey, getting dunked on at virtually every opportunity, and just subjected to all manners of weird stuff by his bosses. So the fact that he has this, nice, this incredibly hokey voice coming out of him is actually really appropriate, so I gotta. I definitely got a lot of laughs out of that, especially all like the weird, <laughs> on all the weird torture he went through. Uh, I mean, I just really wanted to see this poor guy get a break, like, catch a break at some point. And well, he did. And well, he never does. I mean, I guess he did get a girlfriend at the end, so I guess that worked out. So, hey, he got something. He got the greatest Christmas gift of all, pussy. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I thought Mark was a lot of fun here and. And then all the performances here more or less did more or less did what they needed to for like the crew. It's like, it's like, again, it's like, again, they did sound kind of hokey at points because again, early ADV dub, but uh, but I didn't have like any serious instances how any of them sounded. Nice, thanks, uh, Amon. Yeah, this was a fun little set. Uh, let me see. Uh, Jay probably stood out relatively the least i think part of that's just that shuji doesn't have too too much to do aside from just being support but i like hearing jay hickman in things he has a nice voice uh he was good uh you go Keitha, is it uh i liked her she uh, i especially liked her uh bits with what the hell's her name shuko yeah shuko i like a lot of her stuff with shuko i thought she uh you know good you know good performance uh you know for a kid show the, sh the show can get dramatic and melodramatic in places uh and i i thought i generally i think the cast handles that very well and i think um Keitha is a particular example of that like i liked a lot of her interactions with that especially the bit where it's like 
Is she the one where that's conversation of like go like go home to your husband like you know you don't you don't have to worry about me go go be with your family. Yes. Yeah, I thought I thought that was just like a nice little bit. Uh, just you know, nice. It was a nice quiet little scene in this you know kids action show, and I thought she handled it very well. Uh, Allison's a lot of fun in Hiromi because her and Ogata play off each other really well, and uh, it's just so many shenanigans going on. It's so many shenanigans. Poor Ogata. Really, he should sue. This is so much, <laughs> so honestly, much workplace that, harassment. That man, that man would get so much workman's comp. Just un unfat. He would never need to work again. It would be unfat. Ichan would go to jail for for other reasons than why he would otherwise go to jail. <laughs> we get to that. Uh, but Mark plays him really, really well. I think he's very funny. He always has the right level of just sheer terrified desperation of a man who does not like what is happening but can do nothing about it he's just a lot of fun here uh just very just panicky and over the top and clearly afraid of his boss except for the one half an episode where he gets to have the he gets to have him over the barrel and it doesn't last very long but he makes the most of it uh yeah it's a, it's a good good set uh good good supporting characters i liked him yeah so yeah honestly i thought this uh... Of the supporting cast, um, the behind-the-scenes engineer crew was probably the, the strongest batch overall. Um, honestly, Jay Hickman and Katha Coker um, didn't get to do a lot. Honestly, I thought there was, there was going to be something between Yuko and Shuko, given their interactions over the course of, um, like, around the middle of the series... Uh, that, that didn't end up happening, though. Um, I think the, the big core of this group is gonna be, um, Hiromi and Ogata, um, who are just the absolute perfect comedic duo together. Okay, well, for, for one thing, um, Hiromi gets a really hilarious line during the, um, the, the fight on the pirate ship. Um, some weird lightning electromagnetic thing goes down and the ship is starting to screw up. Um, so she and Ogata have to go underneath the system and, you know, play with wires until it works again. Um, and Ogata's butt crashes into her butt. And she's just like, oh, that's sexual harassment. Um, I just got this really, really guttural belly laugh out of it. Just because... Everything before this basically led me to believe that, oh yeah, like, if I heard that ADV had tried to pitch this to kids' TV and it just didn't end up happening, I wouldn't be surprised. And then a character brings up sexual harassment, and it was just absolutely hilarious to me. Um, and what can I say about Ogata? He is just the absolute butt monkey of butt monkeys, and Mark Lazowski just absolutely nails it so um overall i really like this batch of characters uh okay so shunji and yuko i'll do first uh shuji is pretty solid he is a good side character where his voice never overtakes the main cast and jay does a solid job there i actually really kind of like uh katha as yuko against uh shuko's voice uh, I think she's a little bit more deep and mature, and they're both two characters who are clearly friends for over the years. Uh, and the other thing is that they're both moms, and uh, Yuko is a good mom. 
<laughs> and Shuko, uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, Shuko. Uh, but I think Katha does a good job of uh, making her sound different from Shuko, but also having uh, strength of her own. She's a little bit more authoritative uh, because not only is she a friend, she's basically like her caretaker that isn't Ichan. Uh, she's the one who goes to the hospital with her. She's the one that takes her home. She's the one that like goes around with her during the day and stays with her. So she does kind of have this more like deeper level-headed tone. Allison as Hiromi is pretty good. I think I agree with Jet where she's clearly over-exaggerating more than I think she she needs to. Um, this is a performance that I, I do still enjoy. It doesn't remind me a little bit of her Hinako performance, but I don't think it needs to be as over the top as she is in that performance. Because she is somebody who is still obviously an intelligent scientist who is working on this crazy project. Um, and then, oh, Ogata. Uh, Ogata is one of my favorite performances in the show because Mark just rocks him. He is hysterical. His delivery is great. He's got this weird butt monkey putts voice to him that is clearly done for comedic effect. And where, and it never to me goes over the line of being super grating because. Uh, I think under an actor who didn't really know how to control it, this performance could easily go south and be one of the worst in the show. Um, he does a really great job with it. Uh, and I can't really add more on this to be said, but I do love when, uh, he finally gets to have his day in the car, uh, <laughs> because Ichan made them all meet early and then showed up late and he's like, and I love the way it's done too is cause he's kind of moping about getting a penalty and he goes, wait a minute, you're the one who proposed the time. You get the penalty! <laughs> and, like, you can finally hear it in his voice. This man has finally gotten his day. That wrong clock is ringed rice, and that squirrel, that blind squirrel has got its nut. I also love when uh, they're on the beach, and he's like, fireworks! And he's like, oh, you guys are losers with your Japanese sparklers. We're gonna blow shit up. <laughs> and him and Yuko, like, clearly, like, set off an explosion, and they're like, Yeah! And you're like, who are the children in this? <laughs> who? Which is actually kind of more of a theme of the show in more ways than you realize. Mm. Um, so are we all ready to move on to the next group? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So uh, let's get into the games of the fighting tournament, starting with the Kanto games. They are the first big set that Misaki has to overcome uh, on her way to winning the National Cup. And to, well, basically see her mom again. Uh, her first opponents in the Kanto games are Ringo Seto, an idol who likes to play Angelic later in her off time. Her angel is Ronka, an angel who uses dance and basically channels wind via it. Her next opponents are basically a twofer. Madoka Fujisaki and Arisu Fujisaki. Madoka pilots the angel Mao, a small angel that accelerates based off of their kung fu experience, who is built by Arisu. Arisu builds Mao after Madoka loses to another deuce named Hatoko and her angel uh, Suzuka. Uh, however, though Arisu builds angels she does not fight, that is until they try to cheat against Misaki and get caught. Shame, shame. They try to cheat and they get caught by another character named Ojiro. And by the end, Madoka learns the power of having fun again and eventually vows that she wants to make her own angel. And Arisu eventually makes her own angel named Alice, who we don't get to see fight until the very end, with the plans on beating Misaki. 
Ringo Seto is played by Mariella Ortiz. Uh, Madoka Fujisaki is played by Shelley Colleen Black. And Ari Sue Fujisaki is played by Mandy Clark. Mariella Ortiz, you'll know as characters such as Biako and Miyoko Ken. Aria in Sister Princess. And Shinobu, uh, Shinobu Nanotamata in a certain scientific railgun S. Uh, Shelley Colleen Black, you'll know as characters such as Mikan Naoyamano in Air Gear. Kyoko in Gilgamesh. And Liza in Maiden Abyss. Mandy Clark, you'll know as Pen Pen in the original ADV dub of Neon Genesis Evangelion, Tomo Taiko in Azamanga Dayo, and Mawata Awayuki in Pre-Tier. Um, okay, okay, real quick. So let's see, what would the four key aids for these characters be? Uh, Ringo, let's go with Rachel. Rachel sounds good. Uh, da 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 da. Um, sorry, Madoka, sorry, Madoka, that's Madoka, that's too many syllables for kids. Let's go with Maddie. Maddie. <laughs> And <laughs> and Ari and Ari too. Yeah, that's that's too complicated. Let's go with Ariel. Ar- yeah, Maddie and Ariel. Those. those, those I was gonna say. Like I was gonna be like, you can't do Alice because her doll is named Alice. Okay, okay, no, I'm not that lazy. But <laughs> <laughs> four kids could be. No, four four kids would name the girl Alice and then change the doll's name to Ariel, just to be extra confusing. <laughs> Oh god, that's Okay, so being serious for ten seconds. Um Mar- uh, Mariella Ortiz as Ringo. Uh Mariella Ortiz is not an actress I'm familiar with at all, but but I um out of like all the female characters, I think her performance definitely sounded like probably the most exaggerated, like that the most exaggerated, like, hey, this is like this is what I guess what they thought idol characters should sound like back then. As I, as I, it's very exaggerated, very like loud, very like this is but like this is supposed to sound over the top and perky, even in a way that sounded like a little, oh, a little fake at points. And I mean, I didn't think the performance was like particularly grating or anything, but there definitely was. As I, uh, but uh, but definitely, uh, but there definitely was a layer to it that this sounded kind of uh, fake to me in a sense, so I couldn't like it. Super into the so I gonna get like super into the performance, uh, but I thought she still had like a pretty solid amount of enthusiasm regardless, and she ended up playing many characters out like very perky and energetic, which is kind of supposed to be the deal, I guess, because again, like yeah, because again, this is a this is an idol character, and I did I did think she had like a pretty interesting dynamic with Misaki, and you know, kind of helping the kind of helping her to come out of her shell a little bit more. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, as I uh, but I didn't have like too many thoughts on her aside from that. And then uh, Madoka and Arisu, the uh, the mean girls of this show. Uh, well, Shelly Colleen Black is uh, probably one of my favorite favorite actresses down by the Houston front. So, uh, so she was one of the ones I actually recognized almost immediately. As I and uh, while this is definitely not one of her better performances, I thought she sounded pretty okay here. Uh, she definitely had the right amount of nastiness to her performance, which, uh, which is definitely appropriate for a character who is effectively a cheater. So I definitely liked the level of spite she gave and all of her interactions with Misaki. I thought that was pretty interesting. As I ended up made her eventually losing and getting her come up is in a sense all the more satisfying. Uh, Mandy Clark as Arisu. 
Uh, she didn't set out quite as much to me, but I thought she also had like I thought she also had a pretty appropriate amount of spite to her. I I thought she did a pretty good job bouncing off of Shelley and Misaki's actress. And I thought the whole arc about like about her kind of learning to make her own doll and not just like relying on her sister was uh, pretty interesting. I thought the other team made it the end was kind of cute, so that was nice, I guess. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's my thoughts on these three. Thank you, Jet. Uh, let's see. Uh, start with, uh, the Fujisaki sisters, who I thought did, uh, I, I thought they did very well. I liked their little episode storyline. Uh, I, th- I thought it was also nice coming off the heels of the... Who's that first lady who really has it out with Suzuhara? Kind of the mean, snooty girl who's a high schooler. Oh, the, the girl with the, um... Oh god, fuck! I don't remember her name. Let me look. Yeah, it up, yeah. Because we're not talking. We're no, not talking I, about her. But I know. I'll, but like you know, she she's kind of your she's your she's your baseline kids villain. You know, rival. Where you know she's just kind of a jerk. Um, it's not it's not the girl with the ice skating doll. That though that was pretty baller. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think if, if memory serves, like you you encounter these two not too long after her, and it just felt like kind of a nice contrast. Where like here's kind of your baseline, who's just really a jerk for the most part. Um, and this guy felt like the point where we started getting opponents who have more, like, sort of... Uh, Maria. Yes. Maria. Uh, Thank you. The girl, the girl who's like, my parents named me Maria. Fuck them. <laughs> <sighs> Some people. I swear. Um, and then we get the Fujisaki sectors that feels like kind of where you start getting more, uh, more opponents for Misaki who have a little more, like, depth to them. They have an arc. Uh, and you know they, they they have sort of a driving force that's a little more relatable or at least understandable. And I think Shelley and Mandy do a good job with that. I for one, I, I very much bought them as sisters. Like I thought they had good repartee. Like they felt like uh, you know, they have a connection and they have conflicts, but they're you know they're, they're sisters and they care for each other. Um, particularly in that like introductory episode, I, I thought they did a, a good job, and it was good seeing them show up again throughout. I really like the way the show like in. in incorporates the sort of op- opponent characters and has them stick around and not just be like complete one-offs you see once and never again. Um, and I, I thought they just, they put in just a nice, good, strong performance. Like, good grasp of the characters. I liked it when they showed up. It was nice. Uh, and uh, as Ringo, Mariella does a great job of just being way too on all the time. <laughs> just, I know you're an idol, but you can stop a little bit. Even on your days off, you can Gotcha. Let's crank that 10 down to a 6, shall we? Are you really wearing a trench coat trying to hide in that dress and that, that hair? I don't think you're going to fool anybody. Uh, but I, I, Marielle, I think, just has a lot of fun playing this character. She's clearly just having a blast being playing this just very loud, enthusiastic woman who is so very into Angelic Lair, even though she's already completely famous in another other field entirely, but, like, mm, Angelic Lair. Uh... I enjoyed her a lot. She was just very fun. She was good at just being this, you know, not quite wacky comic relief, but just very, like, big and over the top whenever she showed up. Uh, yeah, no. She's a good performance. Uh, you know, I, I, once again, just a nice, nice, solid set of characters. Um, you know, uh, Marielle in particular feels like, uh, She's not the best example, we'll get to him, but a good example of kind of how uh, I think ADV was very good at playing, like, cartoony characters like this. Like, people who are a little more, kind of slightly above, kind of, like, baseline normal reality for the rest of the show. Uh, and I liked it a lot. It was good. Okay. Um, 
I think I'll start with the twins. No, they're older sister, younger sister. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, they're just really... They got the mean girls thing down, Pat. And I... Like, I like their little mini story arc before, you know, they actually kind of... They get beaten by, um... Oh, God, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, yeah, they get beat by Misaki and, and sort of help her out as they go. Like, that that was that was all well and good. Um, particularly, like, the, the whole party scene after she wins the, uh, the regional tournament. But, like, that little, that little story arc that they get, I think it was, like, two episodes where they're just, like, absolute bastards. Like, sabotaging Hikaru. That is some grade A kid show, kid show villain bullshit. And I am 100% for it. Um, I I also, while the performance was just kind of okay to me, I, I really like that, you know, they played, they played the characters absolutely seriously. Like, this game is their life, man. And it, it, that little arc was just absolutely fun. And then Ringo... Um, as someone was saying, she could probably afford to take it down maybe a notch. That's more of a character thing than a, uh, than a performance, so. Uh, yeah, Mariella did a really good job just keeping that energy level all the way up. Maybe breaking the knob in the process and then getting stuck there. I think that's, uh, kind of a little bit of a tricky situation to get yourself out of. Anyway. Um, trying to think of a really good standout moment for her. Um, I can't remember who Misaki was fighting, but when she shows up in the trench coat, um, uh, in front of, uh, Kotaro and Tamayo. I think it's, uh, oh, is it when she's fighting, um, it's either when she's fighting Kaede or, uh, Sai. Yeah, that sounds about right. But she just kind of shows up and she's just like, yeah, hi, I'm here to watch the fight and I'm trying to avoid my creepy manager who's micromanaging my life. All his smiles. But yeah, the, uh, this was really fun all around. Um, solid thumbs up over here. All right, cool. I'll start with uh, Ringo. Out of all of the performances for kind of the main character, like the main group that stays around, um, Ringo is not my favorite of the performances. She's a little too over the top. I think sometimes she comes off a little flat in her delivery of exposition. Um, I'm not super familiar with Mariella's work, uh, but she did sound definitely like as... Like, I was actually surprised that she was in Railgun. I was like, this seems like a person who probably didn't do a lot of acting after this. But, um, she was okay, I think. If anything, out of the kind of core cast, I think she's probably, like, my least favorite or my weakest performance. Um, I do think that she's a little too over the top at all times. Uh, I know at one point I think I just throw in the chat is, why does this bitch have a hamster in her hat? Because <laughs> um, she does at one point. Um, it's just there. It's just there. I also, by the way, I actually really like her angel a lot. Ronka's really cool. I think that the whole she uses the wind to air slash is is kind of great. Um, 
I think she's got one of the cooler designed angels. Uh, Madoka and Arisu are so interesting because I also really like Shelly Colleen Black and I actually couldn't realize that was her. I think she does a great job as Madoka. I think she has that... I think they sound a little bit older, but then again, I looked this up and apparently a lot of these characters were actually born in the 80s. The, like, late 80s. So I think she's in high school, maybe, at the most. And Arisu is maybe, like... Like, I think Madoka's, like, last year of high school and Arisu's maybe first year. Uh, but I think she has a lot of that spite and anger down. And by the time at the end, I think she really does sell the delivery of, uh, like, the whole, I've kind of forgot why I got into this in the first place. And I'm going to do things for myself instead of relying on my sister to win my battles for me. And you do feel very, very good at the end when they kind of grow from, from cheating and become their own people uh, separate from each other. Uh, Mandy was pretty good as Arisu. I don't think she's as weak as Mariella as Ringo for me. Ringo for me. Uh, but she's she's got times where she she wavers a bit. Uh, I do think that she sells when uh, she goes, I hate Ojiro. After earlier in the show asking for his autograph. And <laughs> Ojiro is one of my favorite characters in this. <laughs> but we'll get to him. Um, I think she does a pretty good job there. And I like how... She is the most Sundere character in the show to me. Like, because there are even times later on where she's like, I'm not going to let uh, Misaki beat me or Alice. Isn't that right? As she, like, villain pets her Barbie doll. <laughs> <laughs> but I also like how she brings flowers for her. She's like, it's not like I got you this because I like you or anything, Baka. So I, I really did like Mandy, but I, I really like Shelly. I think out of the three of those, she was my standout performance. And... I think that she has that, like, level of petty, angry teenager, but also wistful, wistful old Megalobox fighter. <laughs> it's so weird to talk about this show because I, lo I love Megalobox to pieces, but, like, you really don't get a show where, like, almost every combatant is a woman. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> like... Like, it, it really is, like, we're, we're gonna talk about, like, literally one of the other, ma like, major male characters in a minute, but I, I really like that these guys also stick around, and I also really like how earlier on in the series, where I do think things are a little bit slower, that they all, they along with Sai and Kaede, or, or as the show pronounced it, Katie, uh, which, boy howdy, we'll get to that. Um, that they kind of provide this exposition, not as a thing of we're going to exposition dump, but as people who are sizing up a new opponent. And I think they portray that very well. And I think Aris, uh, Mandy is Aris who does as well. All right. Are we ready to move off the layer and into the cheerleader role? Let's do yeah. it. So because they don't play Angelic Layer and I really couldn't think of the way to organize these last two sections. Let's talk about the moral support. Kotaro Kobayashi. He's a nice middle school boy who is in Misaki's class that she transferred to, where they go to Ariel High School, because ha ha ha, if you thought Tsubasa Chronicles had enough clamp referential material. Yeah. Um, Kataro is a nice, a nice, well-meaning boy who clearly has a thing on Misaki, but doesn't realize that, that the girl crushing his windpipe has a crush on him. Uh, because apparently he didn't realize that, hey, buddy... The childhood friend should win every so often. Uh, speaking of the childhood friend, Tomoyo Ki uh, Kizaki. 
Tamayo is energetic, loud, and she's a fan of wrestling. <laughs> she uh, she is the people's elbow. <laughs> There's also Shoko Asami. Shoko Asami is uh, Misaki's aunt, but don't call her aunt because she is still a young lady. So she calls her Miss Shoko. She is also a famous television anchor in Tokyo. And she is also the person who is basically goading her sister into a guilt complex. Uh, playing Kotaro is Kevin Korn, and playing Tamayo is Monica Rial. Kevin Korn, you'll know as Joel and Neo Ranga, Suzu Kitamura in Peacemaker, but everyone really much knows him for the one other really big show that he ever did, which is that he is Daisuke Niwa in the D and Angel dub. Monica Rial, you'll know her as Florette Fiore Havernheit in Chrono Crusade, Hoko uh, Hyoki Shinono in Infinite Stratos, and Yuko Yoshida in The Demon Girl Next Door. Uh, Shoko Asami is played by Kenley Manson, who you'll know as Compiler in Compiler. Uh, Maggie in Cross Age, but I think a lot of you guys would know her as Naga the Serpent in the Slayers series. Um, okay, so uh, before I begin again, real quick, uh, four kids age for these characters. Uh, Katara, that one is really easy. Go with Kevin. Tabayo, Tammy. I feel kind of like I feel like that one's kind of cheating because there actually is a fork because there actually is a character in another fork and stuff with that name. But I uh, but Shoko? I don't care. Uh, I, and Shoko, uh, Shannon. Let's go with that. Auntie Shannon. <laughs> yeah, see, you can already hear it, can't you? Yep. Okay, uh, so I will actually start with Choco because uh, she kind of has the least to do out of these three. Again, I'm not, like, super familiar with uh, Kelly Benson. I don't think I've really heard her in anything that I can recall. Uh, as I, I did think she sounded uh, maybe kind of flat here. Uh for like a lot of the early parts of the show, it wasn't like super distracted or anything, but it kind of, but it was kind of the similar problem I had with Ringo, where it's kind of like a kind of like weird exaggeration of what this character archetype is supposed to be. The archetype in this case being kind of like the mature, but kind of fun-loving odd. So, uh, so there's definitely just kind of this weird exaggeration where she's currently trying, like where she's trying to sound like kind of peppy and energetic, but in a way that seems kind of fake at times, so... That was a little off-putting to me, and a lot of her interactions with Misaki. But I think, as I, uh, but I think when it kind of came to uh, a lot of her stuff with Shuko, and like, like, and you know, a lot of how like Shuko was kind of running away from her responsibilities with Misaki, I thought, as I, so I, I thought uh, Kelly sounded a little better and in no serious moments where he's kind of talking to Shuko. Um, but even then, I thought it was so like maybe a little shaky at points. Again, I didn't think it was, like, super distracting or anything, but it was probably one of the weaker performances of the dub for me. And, uh, so, uh, Kevin Korn is, uh, Kotaro. Uh, I have not seen Dan Angel. I mean, actually, I think I probably have, but that was, like, years ago. And it was, like, maybe only one episode, so I don't remember what this, what he sounded like there at all. Here, I definitely have to say that this was probably the performance I took the most getting used to. Um, as I, as I, I'm not totally sure if this is true, but it definitely sounded like he was probably 
a child actor, was he? Uh, I don't think he was. I, I don't know, that's pretty much the impression his performance came off to me. I mean, it's probably wasn't, but it's just the way he sounded. It sounded like actually, like, genuinely youthful in a sense. So I thought, okay, maybe this is like an actual child actor. It's like, uh, yeah, so like for a lot of the early episodes, I thought his performance sounded a little off-putting. As I, uh, he's had a little, just like, uh, he's had a little wonky at points, like he was having a really hard time kind of trying to get his footing, and how his performance was, as I, and I thought his performance was kind of shaky and a little wooden. Um, uh, but as the show went on, I thought he did a, I thought he did a little better, and I kind of liked how he bounced off of Tom here with points, and I thought their interactions were kind of cute. Uh, his interactions with, with Misaki also kind of, but like less so. And I think like and I think as the I think as the show went on and he had like a little more to do, uh Kevin's performance got a little stronger, but I would say that out of like the major characters it was all probably the weakest one to me. Uh but they say that of this section is probably Monica Real and Sabio because I mean, well, it's I mean, well, it's Monica Real. Uh, she's definitely the name you would probably recognize the easiest out of these three, for very obvious reasons. Uh, uh, she was also the very first actor in this show I actually recognized right away, which is how, uh, which is how I pieced it into this with an ADV dub because I wasn't totally sure where this was recorded before we actually sat down and talked about this. Yeah, so it was simply a very pleasant surprise hearing her. I will say that I actually thought she did sound like a little shaky in the beginning, I guess because this was probably really early on in Monica's career, so I don't know if she had like a really good handle on her style yet, so she sounded like maybe a little shaky in the early part of the show, and a couple of her, and a couple of her lines maybe sounded a little more wooden than I'm used to hearing her sound these days. Uh, but I will say that, like, out of everyone here, I think she kind of eased through her performance the fastest. Like, she, is, uh, like, she definitely improved a lot as the show went on. So, and I definitely thought she had the right amount of, like, bubbly energy as, like, the best friend character. And she did, re and she did a really good job bouncing off of Misaki, who's kind of shy all the time. And, uh, and Kotaro, who's just kind of a dork. I thought their interactions were a lot of fun. And speaking of Kotaro, when it came time to kind of address... Uh, Tommy is I thought that Monica did a really good job of making that whole thing come off as really believable and just, you know, making her come off as like, you know, as a, uh, making her very much come off as a preteen dealing with her first crush and how, and how she's kind of annoyed that Kotaro never really saw her as a girl. I thought she handled that whole thing really well. And I, th I thought Monica's performance really solid here. Not quite my favorite out of the entire dub, but definitely up there. I thought she did a really good job here. I think I'm done. All right. Uh, let's start. Uh, I like Kelly's performance as Shoko, even though she is the minor, the more minor example in the show of help. I need an adult. I am an adult. Poor, 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 Masaki. She, she just, she gets hassled by so many adults in the show. It's very tragic. Um, but I did like her performance, especially when she, you have these scenes where she is talking to. Uh, Shuko, that show up later on. Um, I think particularly, like, she, she's, like, very fun and bubbly when she's talking to Misaki, and it's very entertaining. Um, but I did like that, 
I did think Kelly was able to bring out the dramatic weight the character needs when that when those show up, especially when it's like, you should really go talk to your daughter you haven't seen in six years and have been deliberately avoiding. Maybe that's a good thing you should be doing and not this thing you have been doing, which is to avoid her all the time. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a good performance. Uh, at, at worst, just marred by the fact that Shoko, after the initial batch of episodes, isn't too provident anymore. She kind of gets put aside in favor of, you know, the more angelic layer centric people, which, you know. Uh, but I think Kelly does a good job for what she has to do. Let's talk about Kevin and Monica, because they're... <laughs> I feel like they're going to be the meat of this section. Uh, Kevin is the correct level of, like, dopey preteen teenage boy who doesn't get it ever. <laughs> until you until you just state the completely blindingly obvious because he's 13 and not the brightest of men. Uh, and I actually think he hits that very well. Like, I, I totally buy that he is, like, very well-meaning and he, he has affections for people, but he's kind of dunderingly oblivious to everything around him uh and <laughs> i thought kevin did a really good job of capturing that aspect of the character um to the point that when you start at the at the end of the show when you start getting uh, a weird romantic angst that wasn't here for the past 18 episodes uh especially between between him and uh tamayo it's like yeah i actually do feel this this is really out of left field in the context of the show but i'm buying it right now so good job it actually gets hinted at like a little bit earlier like in I, the series. I, think, I think it did it's that i think part of it's i think i had seen i had, I, I think i've watched the show all the way through at least once and don't remember it very well and i definitely remember the robot fighting i don't think i remember the i think it's when i think it's when um Misaki goes to Kodoro to learn how to fix her weak point, mm -hmm. and she leaves her stuff because it's gonna rain. Right, right, right. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he and she grabs him and holds him for a minute and whispers something, but then she plays it off. So like it's there as early as like the the beginning of the second half of the show. No, I think I think it, it it's not that it doesn't get hinted at. It's more, I my expectations weren't. Look, this is very normal by clamp standards, and I think yeah, and I got yeah. lulled into a false sense of security. So even though even though the really clampy parts aren't that weird by clamp standards, they still stuck out a little bit. That's because you know I've I've we've all seen the image of their JoJo Dojin. We know what they're about. Yeah, they're an odd they're an odd set of people. Bless them. Um, where is I going? Uh, on the other side of that, I really like Monica's Tamio. She is great here. Uh, she is so very energetic and peppy. Uh, Tommy was clearly cut from the same cloth as, uh, what's-her-face in, uh, Azamango, whose name I can't remember, but you know who I'm talking about. Uh, and I think, yeah, yeah, Monica, I think, just does a very, she just does a swell job. She is so good at being, uh, just big and energetic, and it never gets grating or wearying. She always knows how to put it out there, but not go too much over the top. Uh, and of course, happily, you know, I, I know this is probably relatively early in her career, but we have Monica Rial playing this character, so when the dramatic stuff kicks in, she can do that too, because she's Monica Rial. <laughs> and is there anything Monica can't do? We're not sure yet. Eat her own head, maybe, but we, we would want that anyways. That'd be grotesque. Uh, and I, yeah, I think she, I think she, she, and, she and Kevin, I think, do play off each other really well, both when they're being sort of... <laughs> Uh, friendly, caustic uh, childhood friends where she'll put him in a headlock and give him a doogie. And also in the more, like, muddling through their, their complicated teenage emotions and figuring out what to do with all that information. 
the the whole the whole bit where they're stuck in the elevator was really well done in particular. I think that's an especial highlight of both of their performances. Uh, I really like them. They're good. Thumbs up. All right. Um, yeah, I think I'll start like everybody else with Shoko. Um, not really a lot to the character. Um, I did think there were moments that her performance fell just a little bit flat. Um, looks like somebody who doesn't really do much in the way of, um, anime character voice acting nowadays, so, yeah. Um, I do sort of like the scenes where she is trying to smack some sense into her sister, trying to pull her out of her own head and interact with her own daughter. Um, I, I thought that was the peak part of this performance, and, and like I said, Shuko is, or, I'm sorry, Shoko is front and center within the show a lot as sort of the main angelic layer reporter, but there isn't really too, too much that stood out for me uh, in terms of a vocal performance. Um, honestly, I'm gonna have to agree with Jet in that I actually do, it feels like, um, Kevin Korn was a, sort of a child actor when he played Kotaro. Um, because I actually noticed his voice broke a lot. Um, and honestly, for that reason, it actually didn't take me too long to adjust to his performance. Um, it did feel a little wonky at times, but at the same time, I, I could actually believe that the voice that was being presented was coming out of sort of a middle-aged kid. Or, I'm sorry, a middle school age kid. I'm tired. It's okay, baby. <laughs> um, and what can I say about Monica Rial that hasn't already been said? Um, she's probably one of the standout performances of the show as a whole. Uh, her character arc with Kotaro is absolutely excellent within the context of the show and within the dub. Um, she nails sort of smacking Kotaro down with the people's elbow and then turning around and just sort of, you know I love you, right, dummy? And, and then breaking down because Kotaro doesn't initially get it. That idiot. B -b baka Um, I, I really like sort of the, the whole thing between episodes 21 and 22 where um, Kotaro and Tamayo are sort of dealing with the aftermath of Tamayo's confession. Um, I think this was a pretty solid group of performances overall. And I'm all done. Alright, so let's talk about Shoko first, Kelly. I do agree that Kelly has parts where she's really flat, but I do think that she excels in those moments where she's trying to get Shuko to come out of her, her own ass, basically. Um, her head and some somewhat of her ass. And I do want to uh, praise the writing of the show for having her explicitly state, uh, because a thing that we, we haven't exactly brought up yet is why uh, her mom is gone. And I kind of wanted to save it for that section, but I need to bring it up here with Shuko. With Shoko. Uh, Shuko left because she had a neurologic disorder that was taking the function away from her legs. Uh, and I believe some of her other extremities. Um, so she she wanted to go get treatment and eventually they find a, a treatment that can work. 
uh, what, no doctor's gonna help her, and then they eventually come upon Ichan, and, and things go from there. But there's a line, a really great line that she delivers, which is, there are plenty of parents with disabilities who raise their children just fine. Just come home and meet you and Misaki can live together. And she delivers that so well, because, frankly, like, she's right <laughs> in that moment. Um, I do wish that Kelly's performance would have stayed more, uh, even throughout the entire show. Kevin Court is weird because I am the one person on this entire panel who has sat through all of Dean Angel. Am I wrong? No. No, you're not. I'm going to bring that to a con next time and we're going to have a great time seeing what, like, okay, Gigi talks about shoujo trash, but, but like, Dean Angel is like peak early 2000s trash. I definitely saw at least the first episode, and that at least sounds correct, based on what I remember. Like, if you don't know what- and to derail from this, the entire plot of Dean Angel is that upon his 15th birthday, a, a kid becomes, against his own will, a thief and has to steal for his family, and it's a curse that has run in his family for years. And he goes from being wimpy, 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 to sexy, sexy, sexy. <laughs> That's the show. And then weird angel bolic shit happens, and there's twins, and there's, like, a weird NTR subplot. Like, it is peak trash. Wild. It is, it is, what if domestic girlfriend, but the sexy shared a body. Hmm. Ah. That's a odd mental image. I am totally bringing it to a con. We're gonna have a great time. Yeah, yep, I still, I have it. I have the weird, uh... I think I have the, the uh, re-release that Discotech did. Um, but uh, Kevin is a voice that I actually know, and I specifically know his voice because his voice is very distinct. Uh, I think he does he does a pretty good job here. I actually believe him as this 13-year-old kid. Uh, I did look and I tried to find some information about his age, but nothing is listed, unfortunately. So I can't tell you if he's a child actor or not. I can only ask you to look at a picture of him and make your own determination from there. And even then, I don't want to do that. Um, I could believe that this was a middle school kid's voice that was going through puberty. And I thought he did a pretty good job. I do think it's very clear that there's a reason I don't think his career took off. Um, I know I was talking to Hardy about him and Hardy can't stand him and called him the anti-Aaron Dismuke. And I'm like, that's a little harsh. He's fine. Um, I think he does a pretty good job. I know there are times where he does sound like an absolute teenage boy, like, where he's like, well, I didn't see you as a girl, and Tomoyo gets absolutely uh, right to scary. Uh, <laughs> and you're just like, shut the fuck up, Steve. Uh, shut the fuck up, Kevin. <laughs> uh, I also find it really funny that Kotaro keeps getting, like, I don't want to say blue-balled, but he gets dick-whacked by his own, like, five-year-old little sister. <laughs> Like, his five-year-old little sister talks about how much of a putz he is, and it's kind of great. And I love the delivery is, I don't know what these five-year-olds are watching these days that so she knows what kissing is. Uh, no, Misaki says that, and she goes, he lists, she listens to adults too much. So sometimes I think it does, like, the age variation goes on, but, like, once you get used to it, it's not as distracting as it could have been. I actually really like Monica in this. This is, like, what I, this is not, like, the god tier of Monica dumb. Like, this isn't Michiko or, or anything like that. Or even some of her best Moe performances. But I really like her. 
Mostly because Tomoyo looks like me in middle school if I wasn't fat. Um, she's also the type of person I would be. Like, I look at Tomoyo, I'm like, oh god, that is just 13-year-old Megan. Except for I wasn't as violent. I say as violent <laughs> because I kicked a lot of people in the balls. You're a different kind but, of like, violent. I did whack a kid in middle school over a head with a copy of Fruits Basket, so there's that. <laughs> wow. Specifically a volume with go. Kagura. I did not, and it was with a copy of Kagura. It was the copy with Kagura on it, so it was perfectly acceptable. Don't be a bully. But I really like her, and I really do, I think the thing that really sells it for me is that she is, I think, the person in the show that has the best dramatic chops. Um, the stuff on the beach, the stuff in the elevator, I think she nails that shit. And it's really, really good, and it's kind of worth checking out the show just for her performance at points because she does have to be the loud obnoxious cheerleader girl but she also has to play like kind of dumb but also be an exposition dump overall i think she does a pretty pretty good job and it's actually one of the performances from the dub that i like the most so there's that all right are we ready to move on to the next set of characters yep yeah so let's move on to the national games or nice and ice and nice ice and quiet uh, there is uh, Kaede Seto and her angel Blanche, who I like to just, I've just nicknamed Murder Mercedes. For all of you who play Fire Emblem Three Houses. Kaede yeah. is a nice, Kaede is a nice sweet girl whose mommy, whose mom is gone. And her dad works for a company and she actually gets one of the original shipment of angel eggs. She's a nice, uh, quiet, motherly type of girl who refers to her angel as her daughter. Also, be her angel basically has Super Saiyan hyper mode and will beat the shit out of you. Uh, at the cost of it going, its health going down faster. Sai Junuji uh, has the angel Shirahime, the ultimate defense angel in the show, who essentially she is the quiet, tall girl who makes everybody gay when they see her. If you have a vagina or identify as a woman. Uh, she doesn't like giving autographs, and you find out that she plays Angelic later, not because she originally was into it, but that her terminally ill little sister was, and that her terminally ill little sister, Rin, designed Shirahime herself. And then there is Hitoko Kobayashi and her angel Suzuka. Hitoko is five. She started playing Angelic Lair when she was like three or four and is already a goddess of the goddess of victory, has a bunch of fanboys. Did we mention that she is five? Not like Lolly with like ancient 3,000 year old Lolly with a body of a five year old. No, she is actually a five year old kindergartner <laughs> who is one of the best angelic player players and whose angel Suzuka is, is known as the speed of sound Suzuka. She literally moves faster than you can blink, and the only way that I can describe her as Omaewa Shinderu. <laughs> you love to see she it. Literally yeah. is that's right, kids. This is a show that gave a five-year-old a fifth of the North Star gender bent OC. Bless. She's also basically Misaki's best friend, her second, and her ultimate rival. She gets knocked out by Shirahime at the at the Kanto games and becomes she basically becomes her Nanbu. Yeah. Except for I would actually I actually think that Hotoko could probably outsmart Nanbu. Probably. Like, like I like Nanbu, but I don't know if that's actually hard. Also, be you, uh, shonen battle anime are for our cowards. Let more girls win. Uh, playing, uh, playing Kaede or Katie, as the show likes to say it. 
is Tiffany Terrell. Playing Sai is Tiffany Grant. And playing Hatoko is Sasha Pasinger. Tiffany Terrell, you'll know, is characters such as Makoto Sawatari in Kanano 6, Self in Shining Hearts, and Ki in Monster Musume. And if you're all wondering who Ki is, she is the giant tree that they fight, like, towards the very end. You remember the part where they fight the kaiju tree? Mm-hmm. Godzilla shows yeah, up? That's yeah, that's her. That's my favorite scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's who plays that that giant Godzilla tree. Is is also Kaede, the, the nice, sweet mom lady. Makes sense. Uh, Tiffany Grant, you'll know as the original dub voice for Asuka Langley Surreal in Neon Genesis Evangelion, Sumer uh, Aosui in EF A Tale of Memories and Tale of Melodies, and Coco in Suritama, Sasha Pasinger, you'll know as August in Coyote Ragtime Show, Asami Iragashi and Mezzo in the uh, the voice of Notika Miyazaki in UQ Holder. Yeah, that threw me for a loop that she was in fucking UQ Holder, a dub that is, I think came out like a year ago. Mm. Wonders never cease, man. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, four kids' days for these. Uh, Kaede, that was really easy. I mean, they kept pronouncing as Kaede for some reason, so I just went with Kaede. I think when I put that, I was like, it is like, her name is Kaede, but they keep pronouncing it Kaede, and Fruits' exact reaction is, wait, her name isn't Kaede? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, sorry. Uh, sorry, this one I had a uh, this one I had a lot of trouble with because I was like, okay, what's okay, like what's an American name that starts with an S that's like one syllable? So I had to like really think about it. I was like, you know what? Let's go with Shay. Shay sounds good. <laughs> okay, and then uh, and then Hotoko, that was really easy. Again, Hotoko, too many syllables for kids. Let's go with Haley. <laughs> that's that sounds like a perfectly acceptable name to give a five year old. Let's go with that. <laughs> uh, so as I add, so I'm starting with. Uh, with Tiffany Torella's heyday. Again, so again, the name pronunciation here is kind of weird, but I just kind of rolled with it after a while. Uh, I thought she did a pretty solid job here. I thought she... And again, a lot of the performances here do kind of sound like exaggerations of archetypes that have been kind of refined since then. But I do think that everyone, she probably did the best job with the archetypes he was going for, in this case, kind of being like the very... Nice girl with a kind of motherly tone. I thought that I thought that Tiffany uh, did a really good job of kind of getting that tone across really well. As I am kind of sounding uh, very sweet and pleasant coming off of Sai, who's just kind of uh, who's just kind of like very sorry and quiet. And I thought those two had a pretty good dynamic going. And I definitely as I and I definitely liked how Tiffany played off of Misaki's actors during their fight. I thought. That, I thought that whole thing was pretty fun, and especially how, and especially how Mizaki kind of got a little closer towards learning Hikaru's quote-unquote weakness, which I guess in hindsight was kind of obvious. But it was sort of weird how it was sort of weird how long they dragged that out for a while. Uh, as I uh, moving on to uh, Tiffany Grant as I, as I, uh, Tiffany Grant is an actress I'm like decently familiar with at this point. I don't think I. I Definitely didn't recognize her right away, but I'm a little. Uh, so, um, what I think, um, what I think of Tiffany usually is along the lines of Asuka, so like, and this is definitely a lot more mature sounding than that, so it kind of threw me for a loop. As I mean, again, Sai is supposed to be kind of stoic and reserved, so I thought that Tiffany did a pretty good job of getting that across. As I and I will see that like probably next to Misaki, Sai probably had the most like serious backstory out of all these characters. Because uh, because with some of these characters you get 
And I get things like, oh, boys are better than girls, or, like, or like characters that have, like, maybe complexes about their height or something. It's like, no, she... It's like, no, with her, I think it's, like, dead sibling or something like that. Yeah, it's, uh... It's her sister has a terminal illness. It's not, it's, not, it's not just a dead sibling, it's dead children. Just to make it extra grim. A dead younger sister. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's what I said with, like... Okay, I think if this were the four kids, they could probably they could probably get away with keeping, like, all the stuff with Yuko the same, but, like... But in her case, I think, like, Sai's sister would probably... They come up with some weird way for her to not be dead. Oh, she'd just be sick in the hospital. That's all. Yeah. She, she got she, transferred for business! She, she's sick and Sai has to win the game to make her sister happy! Sai, <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you don't win, we're pulling the plug. <laughs> uh, you have to win, Sai, or your little sister won't live to see another day. No, no, that's that's from that's from the uh, that's from the Angelic Layer Four Kids in a Bridge version. Oh right. In, the, in this universe, pilot the little robot, <laughs> or your sister will have to do it again. <laughs> battle the angel, battle the angel, Fraser or Niles will have to do it again. <laughs> All right. Um. So, uh, lastly, um. Uh, and Sasa Paysinger as Hatoko. Again, Sasa Paysinger is not a name I'm super familiar with. Like, when I did see the name, I was pretty sure I'd heard it somewhere before. So when I saw someone with a Yuki, a Yuki holder, I was like, oh, okay, since it wasn't something recent. Okay, again, uh, going back to what I said before, with a lot of the actors here kind of sounded like exaggerations of archetypes that have kind of been improved since then. Uh, this is simply like an archetype of what a little girl sits out like, and, uh, it's definitely kind of hokey sounding in that respect because um, uh, it definitely doesn't sound like I don't I mean it sounds like a kid but not really it's like kind of weird in that sense but she definitely was trying to go for I guess something kind of um, youthful and cutesy so I guess in that respect it kind of worked really well as I and as I, and I mean I also did a pretty good job of making Kotoko come off as come off as pretty adorable and I thought. I definitely liked a lot of her interactions with Misaki, especially like early on where she's just kind of getting to know her. I definitely kind of liked how much she kind of initially, how much she kind of initially teased her and Katara about like them having a not cross. I thought that whole thing was pretty funny. And I guess, like, and I guess her not ultimately being able to read the room on that, but again, she is five somehow. I mean, again, this go with it, Jack. I mean, again, this isn't like a super. Again, this isn't like a super serious show. I definitely see a lot of like weird, exaggerated stuff in toy shows, so I'm not like super weirded out by this. But as far as I know, okay, no, she's apparently been tracking people since he was like four, and that's kind of mind blowing to me. It's like I want to question how that works, but it's gonna roll with it. Uh, but anyway, I thought that Tasha did a pretty good job here. I definitely liked how much he bounced off of Misaki's actors in particular, especially during the back half of the show where they become partners. I thought that I thought that the episode where Misaki was kind of like deciding who she wanted to be as her second, and like Hatoko was like really certain she was going to be picked, and then like spent the rest of the episode kind of kind of doubting herself with like probably the closest you ever kind of see Hatoko to ever actually acting her age in the show, and I thought that Sasha did a pretty good job in that episode. I thought that whole thing was pretty fun, 
Uh, if I had one complaint about the show, it's that it felt like they were kind of, it felt like they were kind of building up to those who having a rematch, and then it just like never happened for some reason. I thought it would have been pretty nice if that happened, but that's just kind of like a nitpick. And I think they, I think the show ultimately like got the core of what it needed to anyway. Uh, but it would have been nice if those two got a rematch. And uh, yeah, I think I'm done. All right. Uh, where to start? Ba -ba -ba. I like Tiffany as Kate, Katie, Katie, Katie. Yeah, the... Now I don't. Kaede. Now I don't even remember how. Just call her Katie. But I want to get it right. How can I be a pedantic <laughs> nerd on the internet if I don't try and get the Japanese pronunciation right? Uh, Katie. Um, I, I liked her. I thought she did. Especially when she first introduced, she does a good job of being very, like, fun and quirky. And look at her. She, she like, you know, the Trochus dummy talks her doll. Uh, and it's very charming. And then as time goes on, it gets a little weird. And it's like, oh, you have... Mm. Oh, I see where this is coming from. Uh, oh, that's rough. Uh, I thought I thought Tiffany handled that really well. I thought she was good as being, you know, kind of funny and oddball. But also when when her, you know, her tragic backstory comes out of giving the dramatic weight that needed. Um, I thought she had, a, she had a good, strong performance. Um... I like Tiffany as well. Uh, this is this is. I'm not gonna say this is new for me because I'm sure I've heard other things by Tiffany where she's like this. But look, I own one of the older ADV Evangelion DVDs. I've seen that feature that they did that's just Tiffany Grant showing off the astonishing amount of Oscar merch she has. I know what character type she likes to play. Not this. Uh, but she did. I, I thought she did a very nice job. She was very good at being stoic and quiet without coming off as too flat or emotionless um she very much felt you know she very you know she's very cool and calm and collected and i thought she she did that really well uh and also i thought she she did good when you find about her character's incredibly depressing backstory because for kids right <laughs> uh she's not dead she just went to a farm up north yeah uh, we sent we sent we sent her to a hospital down in osaka where they have better treatment for her particular illness there don't worry she's watching all your matches on the tv she'll be fine we swear don't don't what dead children i don't know what you're talking about um that's not a grave she's visiting at the very end of the show. That's a 7-Eleven. She's getting her a new toy. No, no, no. This is, they'll, clearly, they'll either edit that scene out or write in something about how her grandfather, who we never see, was the one who first inspired them to get an angelic layer in the first place, and that's the grave she's visiting. So, you know, because he, he would have been old, and so it's okay. Um... What else? Uh, and I, I think the Tiffany and Tiffany play off each other really well. I, Megan, I think, as you noted, they have very strong couple vibes. Uh, yes. And I, I, it, I mean, it's clamps. So that feels probably a little intentional. Um, and I think Tiffany, they, they both, they both play into that enough that it comes off as kind of authentic. It's like, yeah, no, these two are, <laughs> these two are probably dating. It's very cute. Um, and Sasha as Hitoko. Uh, on the one hand, you can tell you can tell Hitoko is being played by an adult woman using a voice. On the other hand, I kind of don't. I kind of feel like that almost works. Like this show is so goofy that having an actual child here would probably seem more weird than this. Uh, and I actually think she, for what it is, I think she does turn in a nice performance. Uh, she does a very. She gets a lot of mileage out of that squeaky voice. I'm actually really impressed by a lot of it, um, especially when you start getting. 
Like, like the episode where she thinks she's not going to be Misaki's second, and she's just so bummed out about it. And you just feel, you feel for her. It's like, oh. And of course, we the audience know it's like, Misaki's not going to do that. You're a friend. She's definitely going to pick you. Don't be sad, small child. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> You're literally a sad five-year-old. Why are you doing this? This is supposed to be a fun show about Barbie dolls fighting each other. Remember, have... To have fun on the layer, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, she's she's just she's just, she's very sweet and cute, and I especially think well, for one, it's fun to watch her uh, raz on her brother. She's very good at doing that, uh, and I think her and her Misaki's actress have really good repartee. Like they feel, they do genuinely feel like friends. Uh, you know when you know so we know and it's like oh, of course I'm gonna pick you as my second. You're my friend. It's like yeah, buddies. Uh, it's especially very cute, you know, in the second half of the show where the uh, I catch card turns from being just Misaki to being Misaki and Hatoko. It's just like, aww. Look at these two. I will say that uh, if you have the big ADV chipboard art uh, box, on the one side is Misaki and the other side is uh, Hatoko. I feel like, you know, if there's like a secondary, she's not quite secondary main character if you ask me, like, who's the most important, other important angelic player, aside from maybe, uh, Shuko, it's definitely Hatoko. It's like, yeah, you deserve that. You deserve that eye catch card position. You take that. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I it's it, this feel. This is another one of those performances that feels like you can like, oh, this is very much like an early two thousands anime dub. But I, I think she does like a very nice job with it. It feels very true to what this dub is doing in a way that I like. I, I had a lot of fun listening to it. Okay. Um. Yeah, I will start with Blanche. Um, I I do like sort of her debut in the series where she... I, I do have to ask, though, um, Sai and Kayede, were they sort of affiliated with, um, with Madoka and Arisu? Or are they just kind of randomly talking in the audience in the uh, in the Kanto games? I think it was that they knew them from last year's Kanto games, so they were just kind of like chilling out with them. Okay, that's kind of what I thought, but I I just had to be sure. Um, I I sort of like their observations of the tournament, and um, and then Kaede actually shows up with her doll, and and uses it like a puppet, and I'm just like, oh, that's. That's okay. Um, she makes me mildly uncomfortable. <laughs> right. In that moment. And then, um, as she's as she's fighting, you start to get the uh, the bits of her backstory. I'm like, I can just sense this thing, and I'm I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching. Oh, this is a complex, isn't it? This is where we're getting into clamp territory. A bit earlier than I expected in a kids show, but okay, I'll roll with it. Um, but I do particularly, like, she does have that, that little sense of unhingedness to her, um, that I thought the show was gonna roll with as the show progressed, but it, it kind of mellowed down, and I actually, nonetheless, I, I like, um, Tiffany Terrell's performance in the back half of the, of the series. You don't get much of her, but... Like, she's interacting with everyone and just kind of grounded. It, it's it's a fine performance. Um, and then you get Tiffany Grant as Psy. Um, and, like, 
like Amon was mentioning, um, this is definitely outside of the wheelhouse that I am used to hearing Tiffany Grant in. I mean, like, obviously, she is who I associate as Asuka in, in Evangelion, um, just because that's what I grew up with. Uh, and not to mention, like, as a, as a bonus feature on the on the Ava DVD shows, she has the massive wall of um, of Oscar figurines. So yeah, the it took me being told that this was Tiffany Grant to find out it was Tiffany Grant. And usually, when you do that, that's actually not a bad performance you're putting out. Uh, she's quiet, she's stoic, and then you get the tragic backstory. And then she starts to warm up a little. I actually kind of like the fact that she actually smiled as she was, um... It was when she was facing off against Shuko, right? Yeah. Where she was actually happy that she was she was participating in the tournament. Like, I, I really like that. Um, and Sasha pacing her as Hatoko. I'm going to admit I wasn't the biggest fan of this performance. Um... Not only did she sound too old, um, I, I think it's a flaw of the show itself, but her dialogue was also written as way too old. Again, this isn't 100% the fault of the performance in my eyes. It's how the character was written in the context of the show. Um, it, it felt like an adult in a five-year-old's body, and it just, it just felt weird in a way that I can't really describe. Um, the, the latter half of the show, as I was, as I sort of got used to the character, um, it, it sort of evened out as a performance, but I don't know. There was just something a little off-putting about it that I can't put my finger on. Um, other than that... I think these uh, performances were pretty solid all around. All right. So I'll talk about Tiffany and Tiffany first. Uh, I really like that Tiffany Terrell has that kind of warm, like, uh, there's no other way to describe it. She's the big titty Nissan type archetype. Um, I think that she gets that kind of well, and she gets the little bit. I think that uh, you get that kind of like soft turn in her voice where um, at the national games, you hear, her overhearing Misaki say, if we win, then we're one step closer to seeing mom. Because her mom is dead. Um, her mom is dead, if you didn't catch that. But I think Tiffany does, a, uh, Tiffany Terrell does a good job of being kind of the more warm, sisterly type character. Um, she's also good at being kind of the, the strategic rock for Psy to bounce off of when they get to the national games. Uh, I think that she's just really sweet sounding and very, very adorable. And I really liked Kayade's character and I really liked her performance as Kayade. It never, I don't think it like overstated itself, but it didn't also understate itself. Uh, Tiffany Grant, yeah, I associate her with more like bubbly, more upbeat slash Sundari characters. Uh, hearing her be Sai, who almost speaks in a whisper in my mind, but she's got that, like, she's got to have the ice machine persona, but she's clearly like the big, tough, uh, the big, tough, quiet one who's in this. And yes, if you ask me, Sai and Kaede are dating. But it's also really weird because in the canon of the manga for this, I think more than the anime, 
uh, technically, this is one of the first things that connects to Chobits, is that uh, for any of you who've ever seen Chobits, Kaede is Mona Marshall character's older sister who's dead. So I'm going to reject the reality of the manga and substitute it with the anime where she gets to live and be a lesbian with Sai. Because it ain't a clamp anime unless two, two people of the same gender are dating. And then Sasha as Hatoko is really weird because I do agree with Roots where it's very much clearly like, I think this character would have benefited from not being a five-year-old, but at the same time, I love the fact that she's a five-year-old who talks like an adult. But I also think it is a little bit in character that she does talk like an adult because I think even Kotaro says early on that she listens to adults talk way too much. And I think she takes the game more seriously than anything. Like, to the point where she shows up on, like, fucking Christmas to the Piffle Princess store and wants to practice. And the lady at the store is like, we're closed. God damn it, I'm gonna let you in anyway. Uh, the weird thing is that so Sasha plays Hatoko, like, where she talks like this. And she talks in, like, this weird false childish whisper. And I think for people who are unused to it, it would come off as really jarring. I don't think it's a performance that would have flown in today's dubbing climate. But it, it, it sticks out as this really weird thing that is definitely clearly left in 2002-2003. I don't think it's bad, but I also don't think that it's something that I would like in a dub today. Um... And, like, if worse came to worse, I would like, if this ever did get redubbed, I would like Sasha to, like, replay the character. But obviously, maybe have a, a, a director who's done more ADR work. Uh, because when I when you actually look at Dar uh, the director's credits, he does a lot of DVD authoring. That was the big thing that David would. So, I, I enjoy it, but I don't think it's as strong as it is. And I, I do think that these characters, the performances in here are just mostly solid. All right, are we ready to move on? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's finally time to get to the elephant in the room. Mommy had a good reason for leaving you. Uh. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Shuko Suzuhara and her angel Athena, Ichiro Ichan Mihara, and because we had to put him somewhere, uh, Ojiro Mihara and his angel wizard. Uh, Shuko is... Obviously, like we said, Misaki's mom, who left her uh, when she was five and has been gone for seven years. She had a neuro neurological disorder that uh, cost her the ability of her legs. Also, she, she had to get milk and cigarettes. Uh, pretty much. And eventually, she basically is told in Tokyo that there is no cure for her condition. And she eventually comes upon a man named Ichiro, who is trying to build prosthetics that use brainwaves to move them. Eventually, uh, they kind of team up with each other, but... Uh, they run out of funding, and no one's going to bankroll it, so they take the idea of a doll that they were using, because basically it looked like her daughter's doll back home, and they create Angelic Lair together. Ojiro is essentially Ichiro's younger stepbrother, who meets Shuko on a day where he's delivering stuff to his brother, and Shuko is his first love, but obviously because he's a small child and he knows that his brother wants that, he's going to abide by the bro code and not go after her, but instead realize he wants the daughter instead. You said Clamp wrote this? Yeah, that checks <laughs> out. <laughs> and that kid's where the Clamp checks out. Playing Shuko Suzuhara is Christine Otten. Playing Ichiro Mihara is Andy McGavin. And playing Ojiro Mihara is Chris Patton. Uh, Christine Otten, you'll know as characters such as Rizel in Chrono Crusade. Uh, 
Lamelda Jorg and Madlax and Ozen and Maiden Abyss and raise your hand if Ozen turns you on. That's me. Um, Andy McAvin, you'll know as the Duke of Borgile and Le Chevalier Dion. Director Kakuzawa and Elfin Lead, a series that is at the polar opposite end of Wholesome from this show. And Jizaboro Matsuba and Outbreak Company, Chris Patton, you'll know as Sasume and Pre-Tier, Fakir and Princess Tutu, and Toru Oikawa in Haikyuu. Okay, um, so I'm gonna go right off the bat and say these are probably three of the best performances in the dub, all for uh, different reasons. And uh, it definitely makes sense that these are probably three of the most, like, prominent names in the dub. Okay, well, maybe not so, well, maybe not so much Andy, I mean, I think he... Jet, I, are you not gonna give them four kids' names? I mean, of course, I mean, of course, I mean, of course, I'm getting to that. Yeah. Yeah. As I, I mean, Andy, I mean, Andy, not so, I mean, Andy, like, not so much, but he definitely has, but he definitely has been in at least, like, recent stuff. Uh, okay, but anyway, before I get super serious, let's do four kids' names for these, for these characters. Uh, so, okay, so, Shuko, that one's, okay, okay, Shuko, that one's kind of hard because I used Shannon already, so... Uh, you know what? Let's go with Sharon. Let's let's be lazy. <laughs> Shannon and Sh- Shannon and Sharon. That 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 sounds about right. Uh, okay, Ichiro, Ichan. That one that one was real easy. I said Iggy. I said Iggy because like, come on, can you not imagine a character being named Wiggly Iggy? <laughs> okay, and o- okay, and Ojiro. I uh, for that one, I went with Oliver. He, he just kind of seemed like an armor to me. And on that note, no one please look him after me. <laughs> 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 okay, uh, so getting into the actual performances, I will start with uh, Andy McAvin. So, uh, I will say that, like, similar to Kevin Cord, he was a performance that it took a little... It took a little bit for me to get used to. I've definitely heard Andy McAvin and other things before, but I didn't immediately recognize him. I think, like, the overall style of his tone was, like, a little off-putting to me at first. It's, like, this really weird, it's, like, this really weirdly exaggerated voice that's, like, that's, like, that's, like, that's, like very cartoony, even by, like, the sense of how all the other actors in this show sound. Yeah, but it also something about the exaggeration in his tone that kind of works for this character specifically, because this character is very cartoony. So, that's, that's I think Eddie's approach here kind of worked. And it, and, and it does a really good job of making uh, each on here come off with, like, a general goofball all the time. That character who has a very clearly important job, and he's not taking any of that very seriously. And, like, and I definitely appreciate the extent to, which he just conf- extent to which he just repeatedly shirks off his duties and puts them on other people. And by other people, I mean Odata most of the time. That poor, poor man. <laughs> But at the same time, while he is definitely a very big goofball, he he does have like a bit of a serious side to him, and I do kind of like how he kind of slowly guides Misaki as an advisor of sorts, even if the way he kind of initially interacts with her is sort of like is maybe a little creepy. Uh, so I, I I think it I think in hindsight it does kind of work because I guess he knew who she was the entire time. I would like I, I'd have to imagine I would have to imagine he did, and if he did, then it does make sense as to why he was following around in the first place. Because I guess he was thinking, if I get in good for the daughter, I can get to the mother, and I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> it is a clamp series. 
<laughs> I respect the hustle. <laughs> those darn Mihara boys. Well, looks like those darn Mihara boys are at again. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, but yeah, I thought he did a really good job of like kind of playing as an advisor of sorts to Misaki a lot of the time, and I thought their interactions were. And I thought their interactions were pretty good, even if he was kind of being a total goofball half the time. As I end, like, and I thought he, like, and I thought it was pretty good, like, seeing how he kind of bounces between being a total goofball and being serious, and then just seeing how he interacts with you, because typically, where, like, where instead of being those two things, he just kind of comes off as a total dork. As I, and he just has a very clear, he has a very bad time trying to express his crush. As I, and, and I did feel very happy for him when he finally got it across, even if. Like, and while, the, and while the show ends before we get a definitive answer, I mean, before we get a definitive answer, but Joe Bits exists, so I guess that does kind of answer that. But yeah, I'm kind of glad things, I'm kind of glad things worked out for him, even if he probably, uh, even if he probably should have given Ogata more workers' cop, because again, he really beat the heck out of that poor guy. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, uh, let's move on to uh, Chris Patton as Ojiro, which is, uh, I was not going to lie, uh, is probably the most natural sided performance out of this entire dub. Like, again, like, like, a lot of performances here sound kind of hokey and exaggerated, but, like, not Chris. Uh, he, like, he ha like he knew exactly what he was going for with this character. He did a very good job of just kind of making him sound, like, very kind of, very laid back and kind of mature for his age, if, even if he is a high schooler. And definitely was kind of interesting seeing that very relaxed tone bouncing off of how, like, crazy and exaggerated each other is a lot of the time. And what's definitely made the, the revelation that their brother is kind of all the more appropriate. And I definitely liked how those two bounced off of each other in a lot of their interactions. And I definitely thought, like, his whole backstory with Juko was pretty interesting. And how and actually was his first love. And how and how part of the reason he admired her so much was that she kind of helped him to break the ice with his brother. And I thought that whole story was really sweet. Uh, him, coming, uh, him coming out to be talking at the end was kind of weird. But, I mean, it is Clem, so, like... Yeah. I mean, it's, again, it's probably far from the weirdest thing I've seen in the Clamp show, so I guess, like, whatever. But I, either way, I definitely liked Chris's performance a lot. I thought he thought he had the most, like, relaxed in his performance, and I really liked it a lot. So, out of male performances, like, definitely by far the strongest. And uh, Christine Arton as Shuko. Uh, I, I mean, I'm obviously pretty familiar with Christine Arton at this point. I feel like I should have recognized her immediately, but, like, I wasn't thinking in terms of, like, ADV actors initially, so I wasn't totally sure who it was at, who it was at first. Yeah, but now that I know it's Christine, I can definitely hear it. I will say I was a, maybe a little off-put by this performance in the beginning. Not because I didn't think that Christine sounded good, but just that, like, her voice seemed, seemed maybe a little deep for, like, this character design. Uh, because I guess this this is like clearly supposed to be like a very kind of youthful, I guess, kind of sweet mother, and Chris like and Christine's voice is like very deep, so that uh, so hearing her voice come out of that character was a little off putting at first, uh, but uh, but as we got, uh, but as we got to see more of Shuko and like learn more about her, uh, Christine definitely eases into the performance very quickly, and so, and I thought she did a really good job of just kind of selling Shuko's turmoil. It's like over, you know, effectively abandoning her daughter because, like, I mean, I think the way this show ends is very sweet, but, like, what's not been swear to you because it's kind of a terrible parent. 
No. <laughs> yeah. But I do think the show kind of handles her abandonment in a very, like, kind of realistic way. It's like where it is very clear that she has abandoned her daughter, but in her mind, she's thinking, like, no, she's thinking, like, no, I haven't abandoned her. I just have to do this one thing, and I'll come right back to her, but I just got to keep doing this one thing, and keep doing this one thing, and keep doing this one thing. And then, like, ten years have gone by. And it's like, yep, that's how you do a deadbeat parent. Uh, but anyway, I thought that Chris, I thought that Chrissy did a really good job of like selling all of that. I definitely very much like, I definitely very much bought into her like total breakdown towards the end of the show, so, and where she's just kind of really struggling over, over her illness and just like, all that like and everything that's going on with like her kind of shutting Misaki out and she handled all that really well. So, and when she finally realizes that she's just been running away from her this whole time. And she finally decides to show herself to Misaki and thought that Christine did a really good job of making that whole transition feel really believable. Like, and then when the two of them are just kind of, like, sitting down and having, like, an awkward dinner for, like, the first time in, like, ten years, I thought that Christine did a really good job of just selling that awkwardness. And when, she, and when the two of them finally reconcile, it was very sweet, and Christine did a really good job there, too. So, like, um, I was kind of shaky on the performance at the beginning, but, like, I think that by the end of it, it was probably my favorite performance of the dub, so uh, really good job, Francine. Awesome. And I'm done. Uh, uh, where to start? Um, so I'm going to start with Chris Patton, because of the three here, Ochiro has a lot to do, but he's, he's probably the least of the characters. Uh, I do think he does a good job, though. He's very... He feels like the authentic, cool teen boy, in contrast to Kevin's dopey oblivious teen boy uh he is he's he's definitely the one that all the all the all the people who read whatever the angelic laser layer version of tiger beat they they got the little pull-out poster of him they have it tacked up on the wall uh because look at him um i thought he, I, I i enjoyed his performance i thought he did a good job of playing that character i liked how he worked off of andy when you're kind of getting into like their shared backstory uh, I liked his performance during, like, him and Misaki's little date, where they, like, go out and have a nice day together. Uh, he just, he, he turns in, like, just a nice, solid performance. I'm, you know, I've, I've probably heard better from Chris Patton in more meaty roles, but uh, he's very nice here. And at the very least, he manages to sell the turn of, like, oh, yeah, I have a crush on my, my older brother's would-be boyfriend, who's an adult woman, who I met when I was, like, what, eight? Something like that? Yeah, that's not weird. Now that this is all extremely normal. Christine, I think, also, I really liked her as Shuko. Uh, I agree, I think the show does a good job of handling Shuko's character in both making her still feel sympathetic, but not letting her off the hook for what she's done and how that's affected Misaki. Uh, and I think Christine brings a lot of that to it. I think this, she is, she's definitely one of the stronger performances in this dub. I think she handles the character's... Uh, angst and her trauma and just sort of what she's going through and how conflicted she feels about her own behavior and kind of you know Misaki's here I should make it up to her but I've been just away for six years I can't like I am I just gonna appear and say hi that's not gonna go well what do I what do I how do I dig myself out of this hole I'm in a hole of my own devising what do I do now uh and I I, I really just enjoyed her performance and did a good job of feeling very 
maybe not natural given what the kind of show this is, but at least very authentic. I thought it was very well done. Uh, but now we're going to talk about the star of this section. <laughs> Andy, playing the human personification of I need an adult, I am an adult. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm not sure Ichan is a good person, but I do enjoy his general bad scientist tendencies and overall wiggliness and that ridiculous, like, synthesizer squiggle that shows up whenever he, uh, he comes along. Uh, this, this reminded me of many, many years ago. Uh, Arcada of Glass Reflections would sometimes do little videos where you, ba you basically just do a, maybe like a minute long, maybe, and it usually just be like a weird goof on some series that he enjoyed, and maybe didn't have like a full video's worth of opinions on, but he kind of wanted to highlight as like, here's the thing I've been enjoying. And I recall he did one for Angelic later, which was just the bit where, uh, Ichan bursts out of like a... What is it? He's like, he's like, uh, he's like hanging upside down and he like surprises Misaki and he like wiggles around as he is wont and the, the electronic noise in the background. And it just, he just looped that for like a minute and a half. It's like, yeah, it's Ichan, all right. Just, you're going to call security on him eventually. <laughs> he shouldn't be doing that. I do appreciate that literally the first thing he does in the show is like upset some children and get arrested. That's, it's <laughs> good writing there. I like that. Uh, but Andy's really funny as Ichan. I think he he absolutely steps up to what the character needs. Uh, I think he is very good at being unnerving a lot of the time and absolutely just this like weird cartoony layabout. Uh, but when things get a little more serious, he can he can do that drama like his him kind of feeling conflicted about how to bring up his feelings to Shuko always felt very authentic. It never felt like. We're trying to be serious, but it just kind of comes off as a joke because look who's saying this. Uh, I thought he handled a lot of that really well. Uh, and I thought he also knew where to, like, amp it up and make him, you know, really silly. And he did a really good job of any time, you know, Ichan just gets extremely, like, rubber person-y, as it were. Uh, he just I thought he just did a good job of handling this character who's maybe not super, super complicated, but at least it has more range than creepy bad scientist guy would imply. Uh, and I, I think he might be my favorite performance in the show as a consequence. He's, he's just, I, he's very entertaining and I think he met, he takes this character who has a, enough going on that it could be done poorly and executes it really well. I, I really enjoyed what he did. Uh, yeah. Let me start with, um, Chris Patton as Ojiro. Um, honestly, it was probably one of the most down-to-earth Chris Patton performances i've heard in a long time um actually kind of refreshing all things considered um i do think it was i think the whole thing about him kind of having a crush for misaki because his brother had a crush on shuko was a bit weird but then this is also clamped so Like you're gonna enjoy clamp, you're gonna have to put up a lot with a lot of. Eh, they're not big on. Look on the bright side. Look on the bright side. At least there isn't a teacher waiting for her his student to become mm -hmm. legal. Which, speaking of <laughs> bringing up the subject of Ichiro, um, when he first appeared in episode one, I got this vibe of where have I seen this character before. <laughs> and I got vibes of the weird, creepy high school teacher in Azumanga Dayo. 
not. You're not wrong. So then I happened to look up Andy McGavin in ANN. And who does he fucking play? Are you serious? I he think that's him. It's it's the only but my, my 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 recollection is he he's in the he's in the he's in he's in Cromartie High School and we talked about it in our episode and I believe I listed that teacher as one of his previous roles so that's absolutely him. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because the only other male role I can think of is um, Chihiro's dad. Yes, yes, he is Mr. Kimura. <laughs> Which I'm just like the early two thousands man. Like, I remember going into the, uh, the Angelic Lair group check, and I'm like, what the fuck, guys? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But, in all seriousness, um, the, the two, two characters couldn't be more different. Um, I actually really, I liked his antics. Um, just appearing out of nowhere, freaking out Misaki, just... And then when somebody else appears and Misaki's trying to thank him, he's just gone. Like a ghost. He didn't exist. He never existed. It, it, it was all in Misaki's head. That's my headcanon. Just a magical ghost man. And then he starts showing up again. <laughs> um, I, I also really particularly like his uh, interactions with, um, with Mark Lugzowski for Ogata. Um, the two of them just had a really great dynamic. Um, he is by far one of my favorite performances of the show, just because his comedic timing is so good. Um, and that brings me to Shuko and Christine Otten. I, I, I want to preface this with the fact that I think the performance is actually really solid. And I like Christine Otten playing Shuko. I just don't like the character of Shuko very much. I thought Misaki let her off a little too easy for essentially what she she did in the pretext of the show. I mean, I understand why she she left and just never came back. I get anxiety. I trust me, I know that feeling all too well. But it's just one of those things that it's your kid. She's right there. You know? Uh, anyway, though, um, standout, standout performance. Um, I want to say in the, was it the penultimate episode or like the very end of episode 24 when she pulls off the mask to reveal herself to Misaki? It's the very end of 24. Okay. Yeah, where she just pulls off the mask and she's just like, Misaki, it's me, it's your mother. Like, that was just... Awkward timing. Yep. Um, so overall, I I really like these three performances. Um, I just wish that there was a bit more to Shuko's reveal and, like, actual time to develop Misaki and Shuko's sort of moral dilemma over Shuko's absence. I'll agree. I'll agree there, like, writing-wise. I do wish, like, maybe this was a little bit longer. They started that plot point out a little earlier, just so that it resolves a little better. But I will give the show credit that literally Shuko doesn't ask for forgiveness. And basically just, like, goes out of her way to be like, yeah, no, I'm a shitty mom. 
I'm a bad mom. I did all these things to you. I'm an awful person. I kept running away from you instead of facing facing things. I I think uh and and I really do think that Christine's performance is really good throughout the show, but especially in that uh penultimate episode where she's explaining herself to her daughter. And I think she says the the thing that killed her about when she said it's okay, mom. I'll just wait for you is the way that she delivers. I realized that my heart broke in that moment because I was making you carry that burden. Like she knew in that moment she fucked up her kid's life. And I think that part of the other reason she didn't go back was because of that guilt that she did. And I think that Christine nails the whole aspect of the drama to Shuko and I think that she has these kind of moments that are a lot like Misaki's actors where they have a lot of those same little like dorky little moments and quirks about them. And I think that she plays well off the other characters around her and especially Andy McGavin as Ichan, who is this huge dork and he's this over the top caricature of, of an adult uh, when he's in front of Misaki and out in a crowd. But you obviously see that that deep down that he is a person who cares and that he's kind of going out of his way to protect Misaki because not only does he care about Shuko, but I think he realizes that Angelic Lair is the only thing that can bring them together in the first place because she, remember they come up with the idea of Angelic Lair, not because they're like, Oh, well we can use this as a thing. It's that Shuko says it reminds her of a doll that, that she had given to Misaki. And that's where this all comes from. Without Misaki's existence and her and Shuko fucking up, they never end up making this this game that brings people together. And the thing that I like about Andy and about Ichan is that he does play Ichan as over-the-top childish, but he's also still a, a kid at heart when he's at his most serious. Whatever he's watching, people somehow break the fucking game that he's created. He's not pissed off. He's not the what's-his-nuts-from-SAO going into his own death game and fucking up kids. He's like, oh cool, you broke my game? Tell me how. That's awesome. Good job. Take a cookie. The only thing that he does not have care for is that he doesn't like people who cheat. Because, uh, like, I know he... And uh, that he doesn't like people who treat the game, the angels, not as an extension of the player. And I really love the speech in the last episode that where he talks about angelic layer and angel can be anything to you. They can be a child, a mother, a lover, a brother, but they can also be the extension of yourself that you never had. Uh, so it's one of my actual little favorite moments is in episode 10 where the boy Misaki fights our hero Misaki and he leaves and he runs into Ichan and Ichan says, next time that you fight, why don't you give your angels an actual name? And then he leaves. And then, uh, oh boy, Chris Patton. You can tell that this is an early ADV part because Chris Patton plays the pretty boy. Mm-hmm. That's that's how you know this was an old <laughs> ADV show. Chris Patton's the pretty Chris Patton is the pretty one that everybody wants to be with. Uh, and I love him as Ojiro. And Ojiro is probably my favorite character because he's a little piece of shit. Uh, he is a piece of garbage in that he's lying to the girl that he likes the whole time. But I think he obviously starts stepping into Mizaki's life, not because he genuinely wants to help her, but because he wants to fuck with his brother. Yeah. And and to me, I think my favorite part of his character is when they're they're out on the date and he's talking about when his dad, his stepdad was trying to get him used to him and his stepdad brought him home uh, roasted chestnuts. 
and he sees a sand and Misaki goes, oh, do you like them? He's like, oh, no, I hate them. And he's got this smile in his voice. He's like, absolutely not. I fucking hate this. Um, and he's very, and I love the idea that he wants to be Shuko because he wants to get over his crush of him, her. And he's got the, the static electricity guard. And I love when Misaki figures it out and breaks off her own part of her angel to have a grounding wire. And he's like, wait, what the hell? And they get so into it. And by the end of it, after she beats him and he goes over just the very earnest way, you want to go on a date with me? Yeah. And he's such a dork. And I love Chris's performance in this. This is like, I think one of my favorite Chris Patton performances of all time. And a bunch of people are probably like, oh, what do you mean Chris Patton? He's not somebody who does anime a lot. Like, no, back in like the early 2000s, he was like every fucking pretty boy in anime. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, honestly, it's only like very recently that Chris Patton hasn't been in a lot of things. Like, I think basically ever since he moved to LA, but before then he was in like basically everything. And he was like, that's why like back when Haikyuu like first got picked up by Sentai and I was so disappointed. I was just like, and then they announced they were dubbing it. My exact words were like, Toru Okaiwa from Haikyuu was made for Christopher Patton. Um, and then they did it, and all was good. But, like, it's really, it's, if for anybody who's watching this and plays a lot of, like, recent video games, I want you to all imagine that, oh, oh, Ojiro, like, this kind of snarky, catty, sexy guy, is fucking Linhart, the sleepy bitch from Three Houses. It's amazing. Anyway, I, I love, I love Patton's performance as Ojiro, and I think it's great. I think it's probably my favorite overall performance in the dub. Just because I think he's the one person that you never had to really adjust to being like, okay, this is his performance. All right, are we ready to move on to the final character? Yep. Yeah. All right, let's talk about our protagonist, Misaki Suzuhara and her angel Hikaru. Misaki is basically a cinnamon roll too good to appear for this <laughs> earth, whose who's mommy left for cigarettes, drugs and cigarettes, and, you know, the crippling neurological disorder. Which, by the way, Roots, you're talking about how, like, her leaving and abandoning her mom, like, for anxiety over the medical issue is, like, understandable, but still. Yeah, in the in the manga, she doesn't have the disability. She just has crippling anxiety, and that's why she abandons oh, her. Oh, boy. Oh. oh, oh wow. So the anime actually like vastly improved things. The other thing that's really weird is that in the manga, Kotaro and Misaki get together, but it but Tomayo and Ojiro get together, and for me that doesn't work. Like no, there's no, no that makes absolutely yeah. no sense. No. Yeah. Yeah. What is this so pair of the spares things... bullshit? Yeah, pretty much. So Angelic Layer, whenever everyone ever says that uh, no manga is better than the anime, uh, just point to Angelic Layer because it is. Um, I love Clip to Pieces, but this is the chance when the manga is actually worse than the anime. Uh, but things that are not worse than the anime is Misaki, our, our sweet, small girl who uh, is so short that I think she gets mistaken for like a third grader at one point. Yeah. And, and she just like, I'm just going home. Um, she ends up seeing Athena, uh, her mom's angel, and wants to start playing the game because she sees the, the thing, and she eventually makes an angel, uh, to be like her. Also be the final battle between them on the fucking roses is some Utena-level bullshit. Yeah. And I'm here for it. Also that shot when she wins and Hikaru's walking through the flames. Right. <laughs> Hell yeah. For, for a show about fighting Barbie dolls, the show is extremely metal. Like, yeah, the fight on the pirate ship. There's literally a part where uh, Shirahime, you find out, has a hyper mode. And she proceeds to pick up a virtual tree and smash it to pieces to get another angel off of it. 
It's fucking fantastic. Uh, playing Misaki is Jessica Boone. Jessica Boone, you'll know as Otomi Asahina in Magical Girl Shopping Arcade Abadabashi. Uh, she was Shile in Akame Ga Kill. But the other really big thing that I think a lot of people know her as is she was Rue slash Princess Krahi in Princess Tutu. Because real men watch Princess Tutu. Princess Tutu. I have not seen Princess Tutu yet, so I'm not a real man. Oh, we are going to... Jet, we need to fix that because Princess Tutu is a better dark magical girl show than uh, Madoka. There, I said it. Yeah, that's what everybody keeps telling me. Anyway, Jessica Boone. Uh, well, obviously, I have heard her before. I mean, I did watch that. A comic who killed uh, the Tsunami. Uh, but, uh, but she's also not a voice that I like immediately recognize. So I didn't know quite what to expect here. As I, uh, it's kind of similar to Sasa, uh, to Sasa Pasinger's performance and that it's like this very... And that it's like it's kind of like very weird exaggeration of like and what they thought a child character should sound like back then. And it's like well, uh, well, obviously a little older, but still kind of very much like this is a grown woman trying to sound like a little girl. So it's kind of like off-putting at points. And as I and like I think even more than like Sasha's performance at times, it kind of comes off as a little wooden in the beginning. So I, and I had a, like a kind of hard time adjusting to it. Yeah, but I think that as the show kind of goes on and we, like, spend more time with Misaki and she starts playing the game more, uh, Jessica's performance kind of improves a little bit. She, and that she did a pretty good job of uh, bouncing off of some of the other actors in this show, whether uh, whether it's, like, Hattie McAfee or it's Ichan or, or Kevin Korn as Kotaro. I thought she did, a, like, a pretty good job of bouncing off of those characters for the most part. I will say the part where the performance probably uh, maybe like faltered the most for me was probably during all the uh, was probably during all the stuff with Chuko. Yes, I, and that was it. Uh, that was definitely important to show that kind of called for her like that kind of called for the performance having like a lot of nuance. And I didn't think she quite had that. I didn't. That's it. I didn't quite buy into like a lot of the awkwardness she was feeling when she kind of discovered the reason as to why. Her mom effectively abandoned her and all, like, the awkward tension that would come to that. I thought she'd sound, like, maybe a little too flat there, and it was kind of off-putting. It didn't, like, it didn't, like, quite take me out of the dub or anything, but I didn't think it quite worked as well as it needed to. But I think just when it kind of comes to, like, making... When it just kind of comes to making Misaki sound like a dorky 12-year-old, she's pretty good in that area, and kind of making her sound very clumsy and cute. I thought she... And so I thought they did a pretty good job in those instances, and so I definitely in regards to Misaki kind of, you know, wanting to prove that even though she's short, she can still do a lot of stuff. I thought they did, did a pretty good job of kind of having the right amount of, like, awkward confidence in those moments, so I thought she did that really well. So, although I'm kind of, like, extremely mixed on this performance... There's definitely some parts of it that work pretty well for me, but I think, like, when it came to, like, the really dramatic stuff, it kind of fell a little flat. I think that's it. Alright. Um, listening to Jessica's performance through this, I think the thing that kept coming back is, it was, like, as, as we mentioned, like, you can tell, again, this is a this is a much older woman playing a teenager and kind of using a voice for it. Uh, the main thing I kept getting was like, I'm not sure this is a technically good performance, but she nails the sweet cinnamon roll aspect so hard that I'm not sure I care. Any any time Misaki is doing anything, it's just like, oh, you 
Ah, oh, you sweet child. <laughs> you go kick her ass. It's like, uh, it's like, I don't, it's like, imagine the most sincere version of that you're doing great, sweetie meme, and it's just like, ah, oh. Ah, oh, you beat up that other small robot. <laughs> you get carried on those angel wings, yeah. Um, she's just, she's so adorable playing this character, uh, that I kind of, the, the sort of the weird mismatch didn't quite bother me, and to be honest, the show is out of kind of weird early 2000s qualities to it anyways, that it, if it didn't quite fit, it at least felt of a tone, like it was not distracting in a way that clashed with how the rest of the show might be distracting, or the rest of the dub. Um, and I did, I did think that some, during some of the dramatic moments, I thought she, I thought she was able to hit those. The one that springs to mind is in the penultimate episode when she's like running away and finally admitting to herself, like, no, I was not okay with any of this. I'd basically been lying to myself. And I, at the very least, I thought, like, this sounds like it, this actually sounds very authentic to, like, some poor kid who's had to take on a bunch of adult emotional responsibility that she should not have had to, and is finally reckoning with it personally. And it's like, I, I thought that moment, at least, was well done by Jessica. Um, and she's just, she's so just fun and bubbly, and it's just like, oh, you're adorable, I want to... I don't know. I want. I. I want to. I want to buy you another angelic doll for some reason. Even though you're clearly just going to keep using Hikaru because you're just such a sweetheart. Look at you. You're adorable. It was very cute. Is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, yeah. It was. It was. It was just. It was very sweet, and I enjoyed that part a lot. And I am done now. I. I promised I'd stop rambling. <laughs> okay. Um. Let's see here. Um. I, I have to agree with you guys. Um, Jessica Boone played Misaki with sort of a cloying sweetness. Um, usually that kind of irks me in a performance, but here it actually, in a thematic sense, kind of fit. Because um, after all, Misaki Suzuhara is a cinnamon roll too sweet and pure for this world. Um... I absolutely, I adored this performance, even though it felt like a little bit of a mismatch. Um, I actually heard, coming back around to Azamanga Dayo, and holy shit, I want to do an Azamanga Dayo episode one of these days. <laughs> um, Just go go talk to Noah. <laughs> I probably should. Um, I felt a lot of Chio-chan in this performance, which... Is also Jessica Boone, so it, it, it fit. Um, let's see here. Some notable... In particular, I am a big fan of sort of the moments in her fight episodes when she figures out her opponent's weak point and exploits it. Um, I, I really like Misaki as a character because she just figures things out. And is able to able to implement strategy so quickly in Angelic Layer. It's um, like learning techniques, uh, martial arts, completely by watching them. Uh, where she she wins because she happened to watch Tomoyo beating the crap out of um, Kotaro. And implements those techniques in into her fight, where she she learns the armbar, 
And it, it's just like the absolute most badass thing. It, it was great. Um, but Misaki interacts so well with the other characters that she has to interact with over the course of the show. Um, yeah, I, I just absolutely love this performance. Yeah, no, I'm so, it's been so long since I've heard, uh, this dub, because I've, I've watched it all the way through before when I was much younger. Um, but for as much flaws as Misaki can have, because there are times where Jessica's performance is very flat, her line reads are a little off, um, I know, like, her crying sounds a little fake, but... For all of that, I think that she gets the core of the character down so well that you, like, can't be mad at it. Like, clearly this is a- this is- if the show got redubbed, obviously the performance I think would be a lot better. I don't think that Jessica would come back to- to play her, because she hasn't been in anything, I think, since Akame got killed. Um, but I really- and- and it's not as good as, say, like, I- it's- it's hard to bring it up, but it's, like, older dubs, like, say, Johnny Bosch as, um- not Lavi, but what's the fucking dude's name in Last Exile? I just watched the show this year. Klaus! Like, him as Klaus, or, um, or even, like, uh, just, just stuff from that era that's a little stronger, or, like, Justin Cook is Yusuke. But, like, it's, it's not A-tier, but it's not, like, god-awful garbage, turn it off, bad, bad, bad. It's distinct, but it's charming and hokey and warm and cuddly and approachable. And I really like that. And I do think the part where she talks about having the lump in her throat was pretty well executed. I think her, like, you gotta have fun stuff is really good. But man, the the scene that kills me in the show, and I think that's, like, one of the really big hallmarks of why I, I really like this anime, especially in the second half, is when, I think it's in episode 14, is when they start the flashback of why Shoko left in the first place. And you see her get into the taxi and Misaki's waving and then her face just breaks into tears. Because she knows like deep down in her heart her mom isn't coming back. And when she she finally has the revelation of she kept saying that she was okay but deep down she really wasn't because she wanted her mom and she's mad at her for leaving. But she didn't want to be selfish. I think that she gets the core of that across even if it is flawed and a little uneasy. I don't think it's the best performance in the show, but it's also not the worst. It's pretty middle of the ground, middle of the road. And the reason that I think a lot of people would see that as a problem is that for the, lar- the most part of the show, Misaki obviously does carry the show. This is a show about her struggles and her, her kind of a fish out of water in a fighting tournament. And, and that's the thing that I like about Angelic Layer's fighting tournament is that it's not as much a fighting tournament as in the sense that we're doing this to determine who's the strongest out of us, blah, blah, blah. It's we're doing this to connect to people who are disconnected and disjointed. Fighting is the way that they're going to talk it out. And that's why Ichan says that in the last episode when they're kind of taking pot shots. It's instead of using fighting as a way to just be like, oh, well, we're going to determine power levels and this is just a setup for something else later on for the end game. It's that they, they used fighting as a way to create a dialogue through characters and people who probably in their normal lives wouldn't interact and have the time of day for each other. 
And that's the thing that I like about the core of the show is that, like, it's not that Angelic Lair is only for uh, serious gamer boys or serious gamers who take this hardcore. It's Angelic Lair can be picked up from anybody from a child to somebody who is disabled and enjoyed intimately in a way. And I think that Jessica's performance does convey that, if not in a flawed manner. And now let's move on to final thoughts. Wow, this is a lot longer than I thought. Um, so, yeah, I watched this show for the first time for this episode, so I wasn't, like, totally sure what to expect with this, but I had a, I had a pretty decent time with it. I mean, I've seen a pretty decent amount of clamp stuff, and this is uh, definitely the least weird clamp thing I've seen, and, like, aside, aside from, you know, like, the last few episodes where, like, it gets, like, for the romantic entanglements get, like, maybe a little complicated... Uh, this is, like, a, a, honestly, a pretty low-key kids show, so... And, and I think it's something you could probably show the whole family and they'd all get something out of it. Uh, the, sorry, uh, the dub has uh, definitely uh, showed its age, and it uh, definitely has its problems. Uh, but I think there is kind of, like, a weird charm to it, even if it is kind of a hokey charm. I think the actors here all give a relatively decent enough job. Like, I don't see, like, this stuff is definitely, like, not unlistenable. I have definitely heard, like, much, much worse from this time period. So if you want to put on this stuff, it'll probably do you okay if you can get past some of the hokiness. Uh, but, uh, so, but, yeah, this was definitely a pretty enjoyable little show. I'm glad I got to check it out. Yeah, I had a lot of fun watching this, too. Uh, this, this is very much the kind of show that feels dated in a fun way. Uh, this is, I, you know, what, listening to this dub feels the same way I get from watching, like, old monster movies or that kind of thing. It's, like, it's very of its time, and that's kind of part of the joy of it. Uh, and I think it helps that, like, this is a really, like, strong, well-put-together show. Uh, it's got, like, the writing, it's a lot of fun, and the fight scenes are really well done. I do not... <laughs> it's weird having this kind of, you know, kids' show structure to it and then half the fight scenes look like something from like a john wick movie uh it's just, <laughs> they're really brutal it's like geez louise like in retrospect it's like ah bones did animate this didn't they <laughs> yeah yep. other other studios would not have gone this far ahead to put this much fight choreography into the were there toys for this? I, I looked up and it looked like there were some, but not as much as I... There's probably figures, but not as much I know, as it's just, it's sort of like something that feels like it, it should have been so merch-driven. It's like, there's a lot of effort being put into some of these fight scenes. Man. Um, yeah, it feels like, this is a fun show. I think this is like a really like just fun, very 2000s-y dub. I had a lot of fun revisiting it. Like it, It's a good time. I recommend it. Okay. Um... My experience with this show, as I had mentioned, is I had seen maybe about a disc's worth of the show in, like, 2004, 2005-ish. Um, with the group of of other high school-age kids, while also sharing the space with a bunch of, um, with whatever kids were serving detention that week. Like, my anime club was an experience, let me tell you. I, I I got stories, and if we ever do episodes based on some of the shows we watched, I will definitely, definitely relay some of them. Um, coming back to this, it was kind of interesting. Um, the show is very well put together, very well constructed. Um, fight scenes are very well choreographed, character drama very well written. 
Um, the dub is an interesting time capsule as well. Um, I definitely, even based on my assessment of the first couple of episodes, which I, I really, I really felt kind of weird about coming back to, um, I don't think this, the dub of the show aged like milk, like I initially thought, um, wasn't exactly fine vintage either. I would say, I would say it aged like vinegar, whereas... It's, it's something, you're not going to use it the way you originally, if you had brewed this like wine, you weren't, you're not going to drink it like wine. You're going to use it for something else. And I think in that sense, um, watching this dub as sort of a time capsule into that time period of early 2000s, the anime companies are trying to figure this out and take it seriously kind of deal. It's really interesting. Um... It's also something kids can very easily access, digest, understand. So you would definitely be able to watch this with your whole family. Um, so in terms of the show itself, I highly recommend it. Um, in terms of the dub, um, definitely worth it checking out at the very least. I am so sorry that this episode ended up being as long as it did. There's a lot to go over. Uh, as a dub, I think that the dub is is solid. It's not the best thing in the world. Definitely, it's it's not bad enough to turn off, but I definitely enjoy it. But I have a huge, big old set of nostalgia goggles strapped tightly to my face. And I'll admit that. Uh, obviously, this is a show that I don't think you'd lose any value by watching one language track over the other. But I can definitely see a lot of people who are on the fence about watching it maybe listening to a dub, and if you're used to a lot of the stuff that gets pumped out today, I don't think it's going to be up to your level. This is clearly not, like, Cowboy Bebop level good, which is the only dub that people think that older dubs are good, but it's also not, like, Cardcaptor Sakura bad. Um, not, it's nothing, like, awful or god-end or world-ending, but if you find yourself on the fence and you think that based on the trailer that Sentai has up on their YouTube... That the dub sounds a little too hokey or a little too, like, rough. You'd be perfectly fine watching this sub. And and it is a show that I think I wish a lot more people would have checked out. Because it is a rarity in that it is basically a, a weird hybrid of shoujo romance. Of, like, shoujo drama put with shounen action. It's it's something I like because when when you have a lot of like fighting tournament anime now, think you're like Megaloboxes, your god of high schools. A majority of the main cast is male, and if there's any female fighters, there may be one off or a joke the entire time. Um, I mean, infamously, look at one of the biggest fighting tournament in an anime of all time: the tournament, not the tournament of power, but the the tournament that happens before the Boo arc. Oh, the Cell in- Games. Is it the Cell Games? I know the World Martial Arts Tournament. Yeah, the World Martial Arts Tournament where it takes Videl and and just beats the shit out of her character for no reason. Oh, oh yeah, okay, Videl, yeah. That uh, uh, yeah, that, that, it, yeah, even though the kid, that fight was like really hard to watch. Yeah, and then Videl just stops doing things in Dragon Ball and becomes a mom and it's okay. Uh, because fuck you, Toriyama. Um, but like, the thing that I like about this is that there are a lot of archetypes and stuff in this show, but the show's approachable, and if you're just really tired of just dudes only having fun, like, give this show a watch. It's a, it's really sweet and really charming, and I think the arcs in it are pretty well 
thought out and by the end of it, it it'll make you like cheer and gush like the crowd when they're all cheering for her to get up so that being said if you'd like to check out this dub you can watch it all on high dive both subbed and dubbed and there is a blu-ray available from sentai filmworks as they rescued the license after adv went under it is currently not slated to have its rights expire as of the time of this recording but if you're on the fence and you want to check it out, it's always good to grab a hard copy in case you know, because digital rights don't last forever. Uh, if you'd like to support us, we are the Dub Talk Podcast. You can follow us at YouTube, Twitter, Tumblr, Zed, Instagram, uh, etc. If you'd like to donate to us uh, as a one-time thing, we do have a Ko-fi link below. But if you'd like to support us on the regular, we do have a Patreon. And like I said at the beginning of this episode, this was a Patreon uh, raffle winner by our lovely Patreon, J2, aka Jared. Uh, but we'd like to give a shout out to our other Patreons at our $5 tier, Crimson Echidna, Michelle Travis, Miracula Corazon, Nico Robin Whit with Yowie Hands, and Victor May- Mayborida. And we have our $10 Patreons, Anthony Simpson, B. Morris, Carly Lestical, Jacob Wilson, J2, aka Jared, Julia W., and Marissa Lenti. Without you, our podcast could not be as awesome as it is. Thank uh, you very guys, much. Thank you. Quickly plug yourselves. Uh, I'm Jet. You can find me on Twitter at Divinega, where I will usually be talking about anime news or cartoons or, like, whatever's going on in the world, I guess. Uh, you can also find me on my blog, Animation Infinity, where I will sometimes write things. And you can also hear me on another podcast, uh, Surreal Resolutions Podcast o a where I'll usually be talking about anime news alongside fellow dub talk host Andrew. Uh, I'm Amon. You can find me on Twitter at at AmonDuelUS. Duel has two U's in it. I talk about movies and comic books and music, and I also have a dusty old song if anyone's interested. Yes! Alright, uh, this was a hard one. I usually like to try something that's thematically related, but shockingly, I don't know a lot of songs about fighting robots. Uh, I know a lot of songs about being in love with robots, but that's more of a Chobits thing, so save that for that <laughs> episode. Uh, <laughs> That, we already did that. Well, I guess I'm out of luck, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you're watching, if you're listening to the show, it's episode, just pretend I recommended uh, Yours Truly 1929 by Electrolyte Orchestra there. Um, but for this episode, <laughs> I'm just I'm going I'm to pick something vaguely tangentially related. Uh, and Jeff Laird's from the early 2000s. What else is from the early 2000s? The great Amy Mann song, Save Me, which is very pretty and also a real bummer, which is a little like parts of this show. Also, it was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Song and lost to Tarzan. Because uh, the world is cruel and unfair. Hey now. Look. Hey now, Phil Collins didn't have to go as hard as he did for the Tarzan look, soundtrack. Look, I like Phil Collins. I don't like him as much as I like Amy Mann. I'm sorry. Fair. But yeah, go listen to that. It's a good song. All right, so you can find me on the Twitter.com at Roots of Justice, uh, mainly retweaking animal pics, um, talk general fandom stuff. You should come hang out, have a good time. Um, still working on review stuff. Um, I'll figure out where to post it, and I will let you know. Cool. I'm Megan. You can follow me at Queen Era 2. I shit post on the regular post pictures of my cat. And boy, howdy, do I love my boyfriend. Anyway... This has been long enough. Good night, everybody. Be nice. Otaku on and enter the angels. Otaku on that daba. Rock on Boston. Rock on Chicago. Bro. Bro. Bot rock.
Are those Bratz dolls? I didn't even know they were allowed in here. <laughs> God damn it! I wasn't done! Fuck you, Steph! Jackson, you're keeping this in as a blooper at the end of the episode. You can't hear it, but like the rest of the podcast is on Discord behind me. That's it. That's the disclaimer. I'm done. Bye.